get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So familiar when he gets that backspin on that ball to left field, and he's now got a couple going. Here we go. Albert's starting to get on a run. And another. Albert Pujols is going to stay alive. Is he? Is he? Yes. 19. Albert Pujols will knock off Schwarber and look at Kyle deference to the legend yes we are back that audio courtesy of espn last night is albert pools how about this he stole the show might have stolen a round we're not sure if he actually won that round or if he definitely or given around get the round we're not sure kyle schwerber might have threw it espn might have thrown it his way it doesn't matter albert pools was awesome And guys, that was everything that I wanted it to be. My big takeaway from last night's Home Run Derby is what it's been the last few years watching the Home Run Derby, honestly. It's fixed. And not in that, like, they're determining the outcome before they actually play it. It's fixed in that this is just a really fun event. What the NBA did with its three-point contest, where that is the new new premier event of All-Star Weekend in the NBA, that's the Home Run Derby now. It's something that I actually look forward to watching. And there was about a decade, Alex, where I didn't have any interest in watching the Home Run Derby for Major League Baseball. Now, this was much must-watch TV. They got it right by inviting Albert Pujols. They invited one of the young superstars in their game in Julio Rodriguez, who was just tremendous last night. You had the guy who all of the talk around Major League Baseball is surrounding right now in Juan Soto, who won the whole thing. You have the perfect villain in Pete Alonso. Everything that I wanted that event to be is what it ultimately became. That was just fantastic theater from start to finish. Yeah, it felt like a Disney movie, you know? Like, they had everyone roles in place. They had the wise old grandpa and Albert Pujols, which I hope that doesn't offend him. You had the the funny sidekick, the, the youthful Julio Rodriguez, and then you had the villain. That was the part that I think they did the best with, was Pete Alonso and that villain mentality. Because I'll admit it, I was hate-watching a little bit. I was waiting to see Pete Alonso lose in the first round and then the second round, and when he did, I may have celebrated a little little bit but that was the right way to go the last couple of years have been that way for the longest time I think the last real home run derby that I got excited for with the exception of the last couple of years and how they've gone about it was the Bobby Abreu home run derby where I mean, the guy just did a historic run in what was it the 20 pitches this was before the the three minute clock Maybe so before my time that was way before your time so like 
they they did it right. They built the excitement. And I said it yesterday at the end of our show when we were talking about who wins the home run derby. I wanted to see entertainment with Albert Pujols. I wasn't sitting here hoping that he was going to win the whole thing. Heck, if he would have lost in the first round, as long as it was entertaining, I was going to be all in for it. And that's what it was because it went down to the wire against Kyle Schwarber and he pulled out ahead and heck, maybe ESPN did throw it or make it even closer with Juan Soto, but I was entertained. So I thought they did it the right way. Yeah. I, I found the home run derby to be awesome last night, just because like you said, I wanted to see pulse was really the only reason I wanted to see it last night. I didn't care about Alonzo going for the three Pete. I did kind of have intrigue to see what Soto would look like. Cause last year he hit the 520 foot. Home I wanted run. to see Rodriguez. Rodriguez <laughs> yeah, was Rodriguez the one I really wanted to see. I didn't realize he had that much power until he showed up last My night. That was break. That his own real man. Yeah. I, I did not know he had that much power. I knew he was good. Didn't know he had that much raw power with him. But I, I didn't want to see Pools go like five home runs and that be it. And you saw like when he gets in the rhythm, like you saw in that final minute with yeah. Kyle Schwarber, mm-hmm. the dude can still do it. I mean, we saw we talked about heading into the home run derby that at batting practice, we've seen him and he can definitely swing it. And watching him last night at the beginning there, I wondered if he was going to be able to do anything. I also found it interesting him going with the two bat strategy, but man, yeah. when he got that final minute against Kyle Shorber, that was awesome. To Did see. you guys see that text I sent you last night? The international signing period in 2017. Like what a hell of a signing period. Rodriguez Otani. Um, it was Wander Franco and it was Luis, Luis Robert. Robert. Yeah. Wasn't Luis Robert the one that the Cardinals basically didn't <laughs> yeah. want to pay. They should have paid less and got Julio Rodriguez. Yeah, it turns out that was uh, the way to go. Last night, Albert Pujols advanced out of the first round of uh, the home run derby. He did not make it past Juan Soto. Juan Soto hit the walk-off, but that's that's all you needed to see. Him getting past Kyle Schwarber was a win in its own right. Uh, He's the only player now, Albert Pujols is, to advance out of the first round five different times. His 20 home runs are the most he hit in a single round of the home run derby in his career. Now, some of that is because of the change in the format, uh, so keep that in mind, but a a really impressive showing nonetheless. And guys, what really stood out to me, maybe even more so than Albert's performance in terms of like the swinging of the bat, was the reaction that he got from everybody else. Juan Soto, Jose Ramirez, Julio Rodriguez, These guys absolutely adore Albert Pujols. I don't know if you guys saw the video. If you haven't, if you're listening right now, check out on Twitter. There's a video of Albert being greeted by Shohei Otani, Mm -hmm. which was just awesome to see. Everybody around Major League Baseball looks at him as if he's like some sort of a demigod because of what he does within the game. Like he's just, we're never going to see anything like this again. And I thought it was really cool to see him get his flowers last night on a national stage. Obviously deserved, but you just never know what that's going to look like. And last night they did it right for him. Manny Machado has been one of those guys that for me, I, he was always the player that I looked at as like, I would love to have him on my team, but I hated him when you went up against him, just the way that he goes about it. But I thought, by the way, Marley Rivera did an incredible job doing that, that sideline interviews last night. But I thought Manny Machado said it best. And Manny was the one that kind of sparked the Albert Pujols conversation earlier in the season. But Manny said it. He's like, all of us that grew up in the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, that watched Albert Pujols come through the game, we're here because of him. And that was the part that I loved, watching every single player 
after Albert Pujols would finish a round, even if it was that first round against Schwarber, which for the first chunk of time before he called the timeout, we could all admit it was a little brutal to watch. Yeah. But everyone was surrounding him, fanning him off and giving him water and Gatorade and praising Albert Pujols. And you looked at all of those players that were there, the Manny Machados, the Vladimir Guerreros, the Julio Rodriguez's. That's because they looked at him as a demigod. They looked at him as the only reason we love baseball is because of Albert Pujols. And that's what I think Major League Baseball did so right with that uh, home run derby and just making sure Albert's been there. And you heard it with Julio Rodriguez last night. He was asked, you know, who would you like to face in the home run derby? Oh, well, you know, I don't want to I don't want to say, oh, come on. You know, you have somebody. Yeah, OK, it's, yeah, it's Albert. Albert. I want to fa- <laughs> face Albert in the home run derby final. It was awesome to see it last night. I hope there's something up the sleeve of Major League Baseball tonight for the All-Star game. And I, I kind of hope that. I, I hope he goes in the field for an inning and then he kind of gets what Derek Jeter got in his send off at the all-star game where it is the instead of just the pinch hit at bat and then he's done and he's pinch hit for pinch hit go in the field for an inning and then the next half inning you have him come off the field and you can see everybody come out of the dugout and greet him as he walks in for his final all-star game appearance BK if anything there's one success that came from this weekend with Albert Pools even if it doesn't look like a success because you didn't win the home run derby you don't know what he's gonna do in the all-star game the man is doing some recruiting for the Cardinals. Oh, yeah. Last night, I watched the video of Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, and Juan Soto all hugging Albert Pujols, which essentially I connected the dots and said, okay, well, all three of these guys within the next two yeah. years will be Cardinals. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the way that this works, right? And don't forget Kyle Schwarber. He gave Kyle Schwarber a big oh, hug, yeah. too. Julio Rodriguez and wanted to face him, so he'll probably be when he elects for free agency. Absolutely. Kyle Schwarber asked somebody apparently off mic, Am I supposed to beat this guy? Like, what am I supposed to do here? Wondering, like, what what is the correct way to go about this? Let's dream a little bit. Are you guys good with that? I, I, I'm i still dealing with the COVID brain. Maybe it's the fog of the vid. Hey, man, my, mine was sarcasm. I was joking. I, let's dream a little bit here. Now, I'm going to take you in our Wayback Machine. 65780, by the way, is the Air Comfort Service X line. You guys can get involved in the show. We're going all the way back to two weeks ago. When one key flaw of The Athletic, who's going to join us on the show, I think, later this week, had an interesting thought about the Cardinals. Here's what he had to say on The Athletic MLB Baseball Show. I mean, with Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn, who I'm hoping, in futures games in a couple of weeks, I'm really hoping we're going to see both of those guys there. That's a draft class from two, that was a pandemic draft, right? Where that's, I mean, that draft looks unbelievable for them right now they rolled the dice big times here the cardinals they're doing so much right i'm not going to do the whole cardinal system here they're doing a lot right which puts them in again in this position where they could package a few of these guys together maybe not those two specifically they could put a few guys together and probably acquire anyone in baseball who's available in trade okay let's go down this path do I think the Cardinals are going to acquire Juan Soto? Nuh-uh. Nope. Nope. Unlikely. Very unlikely. But Alex, while I was in Disney World, and again, a reminder, probably had COVID while I was there. <laughs> probably from Minnie Mouse. We know. I got to thinking, man, I think Mike Trout's going to be a Cardinal. Oh, good Lord. That's I don't know when to? it's going to happen. But I don't think that the Angels are going to be able to re-sign Shohei Otani unless they trade Mike Trout. Now, Mike Trout is signed through his age 38 season. He is 30 years old right now, so after next year, he's going to have another eight years at $35 million per season. The books, Alex. They would have $75 million committed to just Mike Trout and 
Rendon. Add in Shohei Otani making more than $40 million, you're going to have $120 million committed to three players on your roster. That's just not feasible. So if they make the decision at some point within the next year to trade Mike Trout, and I know it sounds silly, but it sounds silly to trade Juan Soto when he's 23 years old as well. It sounds silly to trade Nolan Arenado and give the other team $50 million without getting one of their top five prospects. So silly stuff happens in baseball sometimes when you're up against the wall. Out of Otani, out of Soto, and you can add in any of the other superstars that you think could become available within the next year or two. What do you think is the most likely guy that is on display this weekend, a, a legit all-star, to be a Cardinal within the next couple of years? Joe Manampley. Who? Joe Manampley, that Diamondbacks lefty. <laughs> okay. He makes most Pete sense. Blackburn, who had to fly with the Houston Astros to get to the all-star game. Uh, yeah. Look, I, I know what you're doing. I respect what you're doing. I respect what you're doing. Obviously, the answer is none of them. But if we're dreaming, like uh, BK yeah, like, is let's doing. Let's be honest. What, what are the odds of any of this happening? Like zero. 20%. The day nah, Quill zero. is kicking in for BK, but I'll, yeah. I'll jump on board with him I'm here. I'm a Mucinex guy, personally. Mucinex. Oh, you like that big green booger on the commercials, yeah, right. huh? Okay. Yeah, right. Mike Trout is the likely of the three because he's locked up. And what do we know about John Mozeliak? He's only acquiring players with term. And what do we know about John Mozeliak? He's only acquiring guys who match the identity of the Cardinals. Oh, yeah. And I'm sorry, but Juan Soto's um, cup check at the plate at, might not play in St. Louis. As much as some people might or might not believe. Shohei Otani, I think, would play in St. Louis, but they're not spending the money on a pitcher slash hitter. It's Mike Trout. But it's not going to happen. Yeah, of those three. Mike Trout's definitely the one. I I can't imagine it happening. I, I just can't see the scenario in which they take on that big of money, and I don't think the Angels would, like, pay you to take Mike Trout. Like, I understand that the Rockies did it. I'm not sure that the in, Angels In all reality, it. the Cardinal, the most likely player to be acquired at this All-Star festivities is probably the guy who was catching at the Home Run Derby last night because they need a catcher. And I would imagine he, yeah. he looked good behind the plate. BK, I have a qu- f- question on when you were thinking of this. Was this, when you thought of this uh, trade scenario for Mike Trout, was this, like, while you're losing your sanity on It's a Small World? Don't you dare play this. Don't you dare play this. Oh, no. (laughs) I don't ride that ride because of that song. That song is brutal. I feel like BK got stuck doing it like three times and like in the midst. He's like, oh, they they could acquire John. I know they can. BK and Kara have an understanding like I would imagine me and my wife have an understanding. When we go to Disney World, that ride is off limits. Yeah, there are certain rides that we just don't do. That's Mm -hmm. one of them. Anything that spins, I'm out. I'm not in on that. Any of the roller coasters, that's for me. That That's where I thrive. So there are specific ones that I think can and cannot be uh, be rid, ridden. Road. I, I can Road. and cannot ride. We'll go with that. Um, I'm not saying that I think that they will trade for Mike Trout. Out of the guys that are potentially going to be available, though, that are legit all-star superstar talents, I think he's the most likely. Like you said, Alex. He adds value defensively. He adds value on the bases. He adds pop that is just rare. Like his slugging percentage this year, if you look into some of the more like expected numbers, are off the charts, man. The other thing that goes into this is when you look at what the Cardinals have on the books over the next few years. Paul Goldschmidt has what? One year left on his current deal? Yeah, I think so. You don't have any guys coming up in the immediate future that you're expecting to have. He has two years left. Two years left on this deal, $26 million per year. 
you don't have any guys in the in the immediate future that are going to come up on big paydays. Like Jack Flaherty, I don't think we have to talk about that any longer. That's that's very unlikely here in St. Louis. You're going to have some payroll flexibility within the next year or two to be able to add somebody to the books. I've got one other guy that I still think makes sense, Alex, if it's not Mike Trout. I still think Carlos Correa is not a pipe dream because after this year, he's very unlikely to pick up that player option that he's got with the Minnesota Twins. He's having a very good year so far this year for them. As much as I like Tommy Edmond at shortstop, not sure that he's going to be the long-term answer there for you. And if they ended up needing to get a big-time pitching acquisition, it's at least possible Mason Wynn is the piece that they used to get it. So if there's one other guy that's going to be a part of the festivities that is a legit all-star type of player, I think it would be Carlos Correa. But the guy that I think is most likely is still Mike Trout. Yeah, I think Carlos Correa is off the board now. I think a shortstop is off the board now because of Tommy Edmond and Nolan Gorman. I think if you're going to add something, it's going to be to your outfield slash DH or you're going to go pitching. And I, I just think shortstop's off the board because I didn't see them show real interest in adding to it this year. So, And you got Mason Wynn who's throwing 110 balls from shortstop to first base. So, It's a small world. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford. Speaking of big-time acquisitions, I am getting more and more con- confident that Matthew Kachuk will be traded at some point within the next month. There was some news that came out yesterday that feels significant, not just for the Calgary Flames, but also for the St. Louis Blues. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So Eric Francis is an NHL analyst for Sportsnet. And last night he had an interesting article. Alex, we talked about this yesterday, how Matthew Kachuk strangely did not file for arbitration. Well, by the end of the night, it was actually the opposite that took place. The Calgary Flames filed for arbitration against Matthew Kachuk. And this seemed like a strange move. You don't see it very often where the team is the one that ends up filing for arbitration. But that's exactly what happened in this situation. And here's what Eric Francis wrote in his piece yesterday for Sportsnet as to what it means for the Calgary Flames and for the NHL at large. Quote, less than a week after losing Johnny Gaudreau, the team now very much appears to be on the brink of having to part with Matthew Kachuk, end quote. Now, here's why he came to that conclusion. He wrote, potential trade partners would want the ability to extend Kachuk for all eight years, which are available for the team that has him and his rights, but that's not possible if he signs his qualifying offer. Arbitration hearings don't begin until July 27th, and then they run through August 11th, but if Kachuk uh, goes through that process, He cannot negotiate an extension until after January 1st of next year. Quote, a trade before that would make the most sense. So basically what you're hearing here from Eric Francis, and he's going to join us coming up today at 1.30 on the show to expand on this a little bit, is that the Calgary Flames, in an effort to buy themselves time, filed for arbitration so Matthew Kachuk does not sign his qualifying offer, which allows him to negotiate a long-term deal if he were to be traded 
before he goes through this arbitration situation, which runs from July 27th through August 11th. Alex, I have gone all over the place with this Matthew Kachuk situation where one day I think he's going to get dealt. The next day I think that the Calgary Flames are crazy and they're just going to keep him for a year. And then the next day I think that he's going to get dealt and it's just not going to be here to St. Louis. Here's where I'm at today. With all of the information we have available, I firmly believe Matthew Kachuk is going to be traded at some point within the next couple of weeks. And with the information that we have available, if I think he's going to be traded, I think the Blues would be nuts to not trade for him right now. I know that they there will be some who say, you could just wait, you could go to the market next year and acquire him. Not if he's going to get traded and the next team is going to offer him that eight-year contract. Because if he's getting traded, it's to a place that they know Matthew Kachuk's going to stay here long-term. So if I'm the Blues, I'm ready to go, I'm putting together our best package, and I'm getting on the phone with Calgary today, say, what's it going to take? We're ready to go with this. And yes, if Jordan Cairo has to be included, we are willing to do that. Yeah, I mean, yesterday before the show, I was probably 95% convinced that he was going to be traded before the start of the season. 95? I'm, I'm 100% convinced. I don't think he's going to be a Calgary Flame to start this upcoming season because of the moves that Calgary made last night. It just signifies that they're going to try and get the best deal possible. Now, I know Eric Francis basically said in his piece also that this is also an opportunity for Calgary to continue to negotiate with Matthew amicably to where you can try and say like, Hey, we want to keep you. Let's try and figure this out. I, I I think if that was the case, that would have been done by now. The same with Johnny Goudreau. Like if, if there was, if there was discussion leading somewhere between Calgary and Kachuk, we would have heard about that. And it probably would have been done by now. I think you're at the point now where Calgary's like, look, we're going to have to get the best pieces possible for this. It's what Nashville called a competitive rebuild problem is I don't know how much of a competitive rebuild Calgary can do but if you can trade Kachuk with the opportunity to extend him eight years the team is more likely to pay a bigger price than trading for a guy that you're only going to get for a year and then walk into free agency but I'm with you BK I don't like the narrative of some people that say just wait till he's a free agent you can get him for nothing well first of all that's not true Because you're going to have to get them for a lot of money, just like you're going to have to do in a trade like this. Second of all, the pieces that you're going to have to trade for Matthew Kachuk, you're not going to be able to keep those pieces if you just sign Matthew Kachuk. Like, I know a lot of people have connected Kairou with Matthew. I've done the same. You're not keeping Jordan Kairou and Matthew Kachuk on the same roster with Robert Thomas, with all of these pieces that are in place. So at this point, if you're Doug Armstrong, and this is kind of where my tinfoil theory leads you've already started the conversations with Calgary according to Jeremy Rutherford at the draft I'm sure that the conversations were hey let me know if Matthew's going to be traded because we might have something for you now Calgary's trying to figure out what they're going to do now I think you pretty much have the signs that Matthew's going to be traded so now you get on the phone and you say all right let's make this work and it's the best deal available and I don't know how many teams can match the talent of what the Blues can trade if Jordan Cairo is that piece going the other way. And I'm with you, Alex. I, I'm leaning towards about 100% that he is not going to be on the Calgary Flames next season. And it is because what you said. Now that you have that to where that extension can be eight years, it is more valuable to other teams when they're looking at that 
trade market. And I think if the Flames had, if Kachuk really wanted to be a Calgary Flame, I think a contract extension would already have been worked out. I, I really do. Once the Goudreau's announcement was that, hey, he's not, he's going to enter the market and ultimately end up in Columbus, they, you knew they were throwing everything at Matthew Kachuk. And I don't think that if they had a deal in place, we would already be hearing about it. I don't think the Flames are going to be sitting back and waiting. I, either Matthew Kachuk has either told the Flames, hey, I'm only doing one more year and then I'm going to hit the free agent market so you can do with that as you will. Or Kachuk's are, or he's playing the long game like Goudreau did and just saying, well, well, we'll see. We'll see about signing a long-term extension. And if you're Calgary, you can't sit on that. You can't sit on like you did with Goudreau and then end up losing out on him for nothing. So I, I'm leaning towards pretty much 100% that he is going to be dealt. And I'm with you guys. I would not just wait for Kachuk to go hit the open market because we heard the report, I think it was in the season, where there were teams like, I think it was Dallas, that said they would have interest. New and Jersey was, offered New, the second overall pick. Yeah, and there were states, and it's in states where there's no income tax as well, which can be a little bit of a factor into this as well. So if he hits the free agent market, you're talking about teams like Dallas can potentially throw money at him, and it may be more than what St. Louis is willing to offer. And next thing you know, he, or sorry, not hit free agent market, if he gets traded, there they can throw more money at him as in a contract extension get him locked up doesn't have to worry about the income tax and any of that stuff that maybe Kachuk's worried about he can come to St. Louis at the end of his career doesn't necessarily have to be in the prime of his career BK we're not the only ones that are talking about this too because uh, a host of the of a morning show in Calgary on Sportsnet just tweeted out uh, Flames fans are curious what the date will be for Matthew Kachuk's arbitration case don't get too excited there's a very good chance he'll be traded before then I mean, I think a lot of people in Calgary are prepping for the exact same thing we're talking about. Yeah, the, well, the big thing is that they just saw it happen, right? Like, they just watched this with Johnny Goudreau, and they waited and waited and waited and thought they were going to have an opportunity to be able to bring him back, and then the rug got f- pulled out from underneath him, and now they're left without a dance partner. And they're trying to figure out, okay, is the same thing going to happen to us with Matthew Kachuk? Like, is he leading us on here? Or maybe he's not. Maybe they're just trying to lead him on, honestly. And they're trying to convince Matthew Kachuk before they get to the end of the road here. Hey, please, like, come back. We can make this work together. And the big question that a lot of people have about this is, okay, cool. So Matthew Kachuk's available. He's going to get traded. What does that mean? What does a realistic package look like? We're going to talk to Jeremy Rutherford about that on the other side. If the Blues were to give their best offer to the Flames for Matthew Kachuk, what would it take? It probably is centered around Jordan Cairo, in my opinion. What else needs to be in it? Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues insider for The Athletic, joins us to discuss that coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I'm broadcasting live from my house. Tanner and Alex are back in the studio. I'm on the COVID IL, hoping to be back by the end of the week. Right now, we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues Insider for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter. He is at JP Rutherford. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Uh, doing real well. I'm excited. I know you guys want to talk about Noel Achari, uh, Josh Lavo, uh, who you want to talk about. A lot of free yeah, Very excited about that fourth line, and we will get to that in October. But right <laughs> now, JR, uh, Matthew Kachuk 
Pretty sure you're familiar with the gentleman. Uh, Eric Francis wrote this yesterday over on Sportsnet. He said, less than a week after losing Johnny Gaudreau, the team now very much appears on the brink of having to part with Matthew Kachuk. The news yesterday, as I'm sure you're familiar with, JR, but just for our audience to be familiar, uh, the Calgary Flames filed for arbitration yesterday, and it is much more rare for the team to do so than the player Basically, this buys them time, either for a long-term extension or to get a trade done so that the other team that accepts that deal still has the eight-year contract that they can offer to uh, Matthew Kachuk before he ends up signing the qualifying offer. JR, what did yesterday mean to you in terms of the likelihood of Matthew Kachuk getting traded? Yeah, I think it, it increased it, uh, increased the likelihood of him being traded. Uh, you know, I think this is a pretty complex situation I think it's a game of chess. It's a game of leverage. Uh, you saw that Matthew Kachuk didn't file for player-elected uh, uh, arbitration the day before. That was his right to do so. He did not, and that made a ton of sense because then you kind of lock yourself into a, a situation where uh, if it does go to arbitration, uh, you're going to get an elected salary and play out the year in Calgary, and I think he wants to be traded. So I think that uh, what happened here is uh, he skipped that option uh, yesterday, as you mentioned, Calgary opted for the, the club arbitration. And so they're going to buy themselves some time to either pitch a long-term extension and or try to make a trade. And this gives them time to find a trade partner. And, and you mentioned, you know, if they can secure that eight-year term contract that they can sign Matthew to and then move them, that's going to recoup as many assets as possible uh, when they, in fact, uh, do trade Matthew Kachuk. So I think that's where it's headed. I will say, and I've been saying this for weeks, guys, if somebody offers you $80 million in the captaincy, you could easily say yes and stick around in Calgary. So I think the, the chances of that are small, uh, but I will uh, continue to mention that as a possibility. So, so JR, the, the part that I'm confused by, maybe you can help me sort this out, is the amount of people that I have seen that say, why would you try and trade for Matthew Kachuk when you don't have to give up those assets next year and sign him via free agency? And for me, uh, you, some of those assets you're going to have to trade, you likely can't have those assets because of the salary cap situation if you're going to get Matthew Kachuk. You're 100% right. And, and so we've said for months that, you know, what would the Blues give up uh, to acquire Matthew Kachuk? And a bunch of names have been tossed around. And, and for a while there, when Jordan Cairo is on his hot streak, hot streak, you say, you know, don't give up a, a Jordan Cairo. You know, he's too promising. He brings the, the Blues the speed element that they don't have. Well, whether it's Jordan Cairo or somebody, uh, you're not going to be able to afford all these guys. So now in the last week or so, we've got the Robert Thomas contract, eight times eight. You still got a, a lot of other guys on the books for 6.5. Let's say you bring in a Matthew Kachuk at, you know, $10 million, nine, five, somewhere in that. You can't afford to give Jordan Cairo a seven, an eight times seven deal. It's just not going to add up math wise. So I agree with you. Why do you give up the assets? Well, yeah, you can wait a year for Matthew Kachuk and sign him in free agency and, and not give up anything, but you're just not going to be able to fit everybody in the book. So somebody's going to have to go. JR, if the Blues wanted to win a bidding war for Matthew Kachuk, like if, if he ended up getting going on the block and the Calgary Flames said, everybody give us your best offer, and that's the way that we're going to determine this. We know that that's not exactly how it goes, but let's say in this scenario it is. What do you think the Blues' best offer looks like? So it's, it's difficult, and I'll be quite honest with you here, is, you know, there's so much rumor and speculation. I hear stuff every single day. You know, it is 
admittedly difficult not to go to Twitter or social media or, in fact, write an, a full article about it at The Athletic. Uh, I don't because it's speculation, and you can't write something, uh, even though you're going to get a reaction out of it, every time you hear something. All that said, you know, you do hear things like the Blues trying to put together a package of Jordan Cairo, Tory Krug, a first-round draft pick. You know, those types of packages to Calgary to get a deal for Matthew Kachuk. You know, was that deal accepted? Obviously it wasn't because the, the deal wasn't made. Uh, but you hear things like that. And, and so I think it's a situation where that's probably what it would take is, is you know, draft compensation, you know, a, a bona fide player, uh, an up-and-coming prospect. You know, even though Jordan Kyrie has been in the league the, a couple of years now, he's kind of in that mold. Uh, so I do think that whatever you give up, it's going to have to fit some sort of package like that. And I thought that uh, Hallie Selvin made a great point. She's the uh, athletic writer for the, the Calgary Flames. She said, listen, if, if uh, Calgary was interested in receiving a lot of draft pick compensation, they wouldn't be worried about Matthew Kachuk being signed to an offer sheet because of his salary he's going to get. He's going to generate four first-round picks for the Calgary Flames. You know, that would be a great haul, you know, if you, if you have to give them up. So if, if they don't even want first four first-round draft picks, you know, they're looking for uh, a different type of package, like I mentioned, with a couple established players. Well, and that's where I'm at with this too, JR. And that's why I, I feel like the Blues have a good chance at this because I'm not sure how many teams can offer a player like Jordan Cairo, who is coming off of a point-per-game season, the fastest skater at the All-Star game. He's going to be an RFA, which means you pretty much have control of him for the next few seasons. I don't know how many teams have a Jordan Cairo in their arsenal that they can trade for Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, and it's kind of like the situation I heard you guys talking about Juan Soto and, you know, if he comes in and he replaces a Dylan Carlson, you know, you're kind of getting that good young player, only it's guaranteed, like Juan Soto's already there. Well, it's a situation where, yeah, you probably don't want to give up a Jordan Cairo, but if you if you take him out of the lineup and you plug in a Matthew Kachuk, I mean, you're swapping out Cairo for a 100-point guy who can play right there in that spot in the top six and, you know, have that same chemistry that we're talking about with uh, Robbie Thomas. So, you know, I agree with you. There aren't too many good young players in the league like a Cairo that a team might be willing to give up as the Blues might be. I'm not saying they are, uh, but if you can get a Matthew Kachuk and plug him into uh, that lineup, I, I think that that would make sense for the Blues. So, Jared, real quick, just going down that path, the, the package that you mentioned, and again, this is all hypotheticals. There's no reporting on this. It's just us talking. Jordan Cairo and Tory Krug, that's one way to make the cap work if you were to acquire a Matthew Kachuk. The other way I look at it is you're probably going to have to move on from Jordan Cairo and Vladimir Tarasenko. In those two scenarios, if Matthew Kachuk was acquired and you lost Cairo and Krug or Cairo and Tarasenko, which team do you feel like is in a better position to compete this season? Yeah, I, I, it's, I think the team, first of all, let me back up. I think there's still a decent chance that Tarasenko gets traded before the start of the season. I know you kind of have some back and forth on that. You know, I, I feel like, you know, some people might listen week to week and, and wonder, well, you know, last week you think that he might start the season. Well, yeah, he wasn't traded at the draft, but let's not forget that there's still time plenty of time before the season starts. So I still think there's a possibility that Tarasenko gets traded. Uh, but if he is here and you're trying to decide which route to go in terms of acquiring Matthew Kachuk, who do you give up? Um, you know, I think that if you lost a Cairo and a Tarasenko, you know, that's going to hurt. I think if you lost a Tory Krug, as much as respect as I have for Tory Krug, and I think he helps this team, 
they do have the eight defensemen on one-way contracts, and I think at some point you're going to have to give Kronovich an opportunity to see if he can go play. So uh, to me, I would, you know, if, if it was an option, I'd rather keep one of those forwards, you know, Tarasenko to play with Kachuk up on that right side uh, in the top six and uh, try to give Kronovich a spot in that, uh, in that defensive uh, projection. But I will say this too, guys, I mean, does Vladimir Tarasenko want to go to a rebuilding Calgary team? In fact, if that's what they have to do, uh, does Tory Krug have to want to do that? Both of them have no trade clauses. And honestly, I couldn't see either one of them fitting into that situation or, or wanting to. Yeah, this just gets really – we're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, by the way, Blues Insider for The Athletic. You should follow his great work over there and on Twitter at J.P. Rutherford. It gets really complicated. Like when you start including multiple teams into the trade up on top of just the Blues and the Calgary Flames, that's how a deal can can end up going away very quickly. I guess my question to you, like kind of tangentially related to this, if you think that there's still a chance that the Blues are going to trade Vladimir Tarasenko, Jr. I guess I'm. I continue to be confused, and not to beat a dead horse here, but why they didn't add more insurance to their top six with David Perron if it was going to be something like a two-year deal worth four to four and a half million dollars per year? I, I understand that right now, as we're looking at the cap sheet today, they do not have room for that on the books today. But if they think that there's a real chance that they're going to trade Vladimir Tarasenko. There, there would eventually be room for that on the books. I guess I, I'm still confused by that. No, I understand the confusion, and I think this is the best answer I can give you on that, is that there's a sequence of events. There's a timeline. There's a thing that Doug Armstrong has to do by a certain date, whether it's, you know, decide not to sign David Prime, decide to sign Nick Letty, to stay in the Matthew Kachuk talks, to stay involved in what's going to happen with Vladimir Tarasenko, and he can't get caught up in what it's going to look like from the draft to the start of free agency to two weeks after free agency. He just have, has to devise the plan and try to execute based on the timeline that he, that he has to give. So why wouldn't they go out and beef up their top six and, because they might be trading Vladimir Tarasenko? Well, it's because they've got to re-sign Nick Letty. That's, that's the option that they, they went with uh, defensively. Uh, so what's the next thing? The next thing is free agency. Okay, we might still be in the Matthew Kachuk talks. We don't want a David Prawn contract on the books, and we'll continue to monitor the Kachuk and Tarasenko situation. So I think that's all what it comes down to, is it might look a certain way one day that they're not doing something, but I feel like if the plan is executed the way Doug Armstrong intends it to be, it'll all make sense when it comes out of the wash. Uh, JR, final one for me, and you mentioned Vladimir Tarasenko, how you believe there still is a possibility that he could be moved before the start of the season. The team that I keep hearing connected with Vladimir is the New York Islanders, and Lou Lamarillo, who seems to hold things very close to the chest, has not announced any free agent signings via free agency, and of course they have been looking for a top six forward. Is that still a potential match that you believe could come out before the start of the season? Maybe that's why we don't know where Kadri's going yet, right? Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> yeah, because he hasn't been announced with the New York Islanders. No, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, it, 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 it's a good question, Alex. I, I, I think that uh, the New York Islanders make a lot of sense. Listen, they've been one of the probably three or four most mentioned teams in the past uh, year since this all came about. And, you know, I think that's a team that he would go to. Uh, you know, what's the return on that? Obviously, you know, it hasn't been to Doug Armstrong's liking yet if, if they have had talks, which 
you know, we've been, we believe there's probably been some exploration. So uh, I, I could see that as a likely destination, especially with the Islanders uh, striking out on Johnny Goudreau and, and a couple other players. So yeah, you know, Lou isn't going to sit back long and watch that team get, uh, you know, knocked out after the regular season. He's going to try to make a move, and, and perhaps that is a team that uh, we wind up seeing Tarasenko go to. JR, is there anything else that we need to know about this situation with Matthew Kachuk? No, I just uh, I think this, uh, BK. I think that it doesn't make sense for him to go back to Calgary unless he gets that whopping deal, even for one year. And you, you got to look at it realistically, and I think the situation is this. He's going back to a team potentially without a Johnny Goudreau. You know, how, how successful is he going to be? You know, he's got a lottery ticket right now because of the season he had, and, and he has to cash that in, whether it be with Calgary in the long-term deal or the trade. But if he goes back to Calgary and plays on, you know, the one-year club-elected arbitration, he can get injured. You're one concussion away. Uh, he, he can put up 40 points and, and nowhere near the type of production he had last year. It's just not worth it to play uh, the one year out. So I think we can all agree that it's going to go one way or the other, the long-term deal or the trade. And as I sit here today and, you know, trying to make as many phone calls and stay on top of the situation as I can, I think it's looking more and more like a trade out of Calgary. All right, Jay. Now tell everybody about what the Blues are getting in Martin Frick. I'm just kidding. <laughs> How about you and the Ferrario 5? That's huh? right. CBK Ferrario 5 <laughs> nailed it again. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I wasn't too far off. I said the two-way deal, right? But th- that was your guy. That was your guy. So all I'll right. give you all the credit in the world. Yeah, don't, don't try and piggyback off my Ferrari 5, JR. <laughs> <laughs> JR, I appreciate the time as always, man. This is awesome. And uh, hopefully next week when we catch up, we're talking about what Matthew Kachuk brings to the Blues. All right. Get better, buddy. And hopefully this is a sign to stay away from that Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what this is. Thanks, Jeremy Rutherford. Check out his work over on The Athletic and on Twitter at JP Rutherford. If you guys have any reaction to that, any questions on what we just talked about with Jeremy Rutherford, we want to hear from you. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. We're going to continue talking about this all day long. Matt Larkin of the Daily Faceoff will join us coming up at 1230. We've got Eric Francis, who wrote the piece yesterday over in Sportsnet, suggesting he thinks that it's over between the Calgary Flames and Matthew Kachuk. He's going to join us coming up at 1.30. But coming up next, questions and answers. 65780 is your comfort service text line to get involved here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. <laughs> Checking to make sure my mic was on. It worked, buddy. Alongside <laughs> Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Snake in my <laughs> From the three one four. Hey guys, do you think that the Blues would have to let Ryan O'Reilly go if they ended up re-signing Matthew Kachuk while they have uh, Robert Thomas on this type of a long-term deal? No, I don't like that narrative. And I said this last week, BK, when you were out, because I I heard a couple of different people say that like you can't keep Ryan O'Reilly. And and I Randy made the best point out of everyone that I've heard talk about it, saying like Doug Armstrong is not going to want to pay Braden Shen six and a half million dollars to be your third-line center. And I understand that. 
but financially you can make it work. And as much as people are upset about losing David Perron, I don't know what this Blues team looks like without Ryan O'Reilly's leadership, defensive ability, and face-off ability. So, no, I, I think you can make it work, and I think you have to make it work for the rest of O'Reilly's career. Yeah, I We were saying you- the same thing two weeks ago, though, about David Perron. Yeah. Yeah, but you're losing more if you lose Ryan O'Reilly than you are in David Perron, in my opinion. Like you're, you're losing, losing similar things, though. Not really. You're losing goals and power play from David Perron. You're losing that from O'Reilly. And leadership. Yes, that's true. But you're also losing defensive ability. You're losing penalty kill. You're losing face-offs. You're losing a lot more in Ryan O'Reilly than you are in David Perron. Can he- I say something that I know people are going to get mad at me for saying? Well, I have more concerns about the aging process with Ryan O'Reilly than I do over the next two years with David Perron. And here's why. I'm not saying that he's going to be a bad player, but Ryan O'Reilly is probably going to command a longer contract on his next deal, more than two years, what David Perron just got. And he's never been a particularly fleet of foot skater. That's not his game. It doesn't need to be his game. But when you play that way, and you are a defensive-minded center, if you end up losing a little bit of that speed and you don't have a ton to lose, it can go really quick, man. I remember these same conversations about David Backus. Now, they're not the same player, but they have some similar values in terms of the way that they play. I don't know, man. I I hope that they re-sign Ryan O'Reilly. I want him to be here long-term. I do think some of the questions that the team probably had about David Perron and giving him that contract extension are the same questions that they will have next year about giving a long-term deal to Ryan O'Reilly. So I I am not as certain today as I was two weeks ago about them re-signing Ryan O'Reilly because of the way that the David Perron sweepstakes went. And, and how much of this also plays into what you see from Thomas in the playoffs in the upcoming season? Because let's not forget, like as much as it is easy to say, like, oh, Thomas can replace Ryan O'Reilly, Thomas was not the same guy in the yeah, playoffs. Thomas, Thomas was Thomas, absent. Thomas was absent, looked like he got bullied off the puck a little bit, and he didn't look like he would be ready for that number one role. Because I agree with you, O'Reilly brings that defensive liability that the Blues wouldn't have if he didn't have him. But if Thomas can take that next step next year, maybe become somewhat of that, then maybe maybe it's a little easier to let Ryan O'Reilly walk. I, I just I'm not as concerned about that. I'm thinking you're probably if you're Ryan O'Reilly, you're asking for a four or five year contract extension, which takes him to be 35, 36 years old. And if you look in the last 10 years, the amount of games played, uh, he ranks 23rd among all skaters. So the guy is has been a warrior his entire career. And I understand that's what the concern is, but it's not like we've had these massive injuries for Ryan O'Reilly, like a back problem or a concussion problem. The guy keeps himself in about his best shape as you can ask. I, I think you're probably... In all reality, and I know they're not the same player, but but I think you're probably looking at the longevity of a career like Ryan O'Reilly, like you look at a Rod Brendamore with the Carolina Hurricanes. And the guy just kept himself in the best shape of his life, and he lasted until he was about 35, 36 years old. Probably. Uh, hopefully, he's just the next deal starts at his age 32 season, and that always makes me nervous. Yeah. Um, so uh, that, it's, that's, it's something to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Like, a, as we're going into this year, I, I think they re signed him. I think they should re sign him. I do not think it is a slam dunk that that happens, though. Uh, and I think that if we've learned anything within the last two weeks, it's not to take anything for granted with Army yeah. because he is completely unemotional about these decisions. If he thinks it's the best thing for his team to re-sign Ryan O'Reilly, he will do that. If he doesn't, though, he'll move on.
And I know that seems cutthroat, but that's the way that he operates. And uh, we, we appreciate that about him, honestly, in a lot of ways. All right, a couple more quick things. 65780 is your comfort service text line for questions and answers. Guys, what do you think about the new rule to finish the All-Star game if it is tied after nine innings? Have you seen this, Alex? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I saw that. I heard them talking about it last night. I saw it on Twitter. I love it if I'm awake still at that time. Like the All-Star game. Oh, you and that's not even me. That's just like, I don't know how many people stay for nine whole innings of an All-Star game. Like, at least in the last few years, I'll watch the first three or four innings. And then once all of those guys start coming out that started the game, I'm usually changing the channel. Yeah. See, I love the MLB All-Star game. I think it's my favorite by far of all the All-Star oh, games. I'll watch, it nine, I'll watch it nine innings through tonight. Um, I don't mind the home run thing because, like, you want to get them out of there as soon as possible. Plus, it adds a little bit more flair to the game because you go extra innings. I mean, you just you see how the elite of the elite in pitching, and I know you got the elite offense guys, but the pitching's just at a different level. I, I don't mind going to a home run derby. I just don't ever want to see it in the regular season. Yeah, I... I think I agree with everything Tanner just said. I love it for the All-Star game. I do not want to see this in the regular season. Oh, God, no. We, that would we be can terrible. continue playing baseball during the regular season, yeah. but it's really cool to do this uh, during the All-Star game. And honestly, give it to me during spring training as well. Let's go ahead and see this in the spring training exhibitions. No, Let's get just, a real nah, winner. No, in those keep games. spring training. If it goes nah, extras, the game's over. Yeah, it's a tie. It's a tie. <laughs> we don't need a home run derby all, and all extras. The, all the main guys have left. I don't want to see what some single-A catcher's yeah. going to be doing in a home run as derby. Soon as, as soon as the guy, Paul Goldschmidt, gets pulled in a spring training game in the second inning, he's, he's going home. I want to see what guys like Jordan Walker can do. Well, uh, let, yeah. Let's see I'll, it. I, I think it'll be fun. Coming up in 15 game. minutes. We're going to have some fun with bet it or forget it. 65780 is your comfort service tax line to give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we're betting it or forgetting it. But coming up next, what does it mean for the Cardinals if Juan Soto is traded to a different National League team? No, not to the Cardinals. We're not playing that game anymore. <laughs> what if he ends up going to the National League, but it's one of the other contenders? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 20 minutes, we're going to be joined by Matt Larkin. He's the senior writer for the Daily Faceoff NHL analyst. We'll talk to him about the latest with Matthew Kachuk. We'll do that coming up at 1230. But right now, so I'm going to be real with you guys. I don't think Juan Soto is going to be a Cardinal. CBS Sports disagrees. They said that he's the most likely spot to come here. Yeah, well, if you read the piece... Alex, kind of like watching the games. I don't. Do you that. would find out what they're saying is that the Cardinals have the best offer that they could give up for Juan Soto, which no. makes them a realistic candidate to acquire him. I don't agree. However, with that. there's the whole you know John Mozeliak doesn't like trading his best prospects thing, and then the contract and all of that fun stuff. However, there are a lot of teams in the National League that do feel like real possibilities for Juan Soto, and I know that he's already in the NL, but I'm talking about contenders. Teams like the Dodgers, the Padres, the Mets, the Marlins, they seem like they're at least possibilities for Juan Soto. And according to Baseball America, in fact, all four of those teams, including the Cardinals, there were also mentioned on this list for what it's worth, are teams that have the potential prospects to make a deal for Juan Soto if and when he is traded. Now, Ken Rosenthal said something really interesting on the Athletics MLB podcast earlier today. 
I want you to take a listen to this, Alex, because it made me think about expanding the possibilities of where Juan Soto could end up. We expect, of course, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Mets, the Padres, all of the usual suspects to engage in a pursuit of Soto. But I would say that even teams that are lower in revenue, Tampa Bay, for instance, could play on this player. Tampa Bay conceivably get Soto, pay him the rest of his $17.1 million salary this year, and then pay him next year as well. His salary, I would expect, would be in the 22 to $25 million range. And if you don't want to pay him in the last year, which I would expect they probably would not, okay, you can trade him again. So I would think there are other teams besides the usual suspects who will check in on this. So basically he's saying, hey, what you could do, take him on for the next year and a half, and then trade him again going into year three. This is essentially something resembling the Marcelo Zuna trade, right? So Marcelo Zuna had two years left on his deal whenever the Cardinals decided to trade for him. And then they said, you know what? Didn't work out quite as we were expecting. Marcel, go ahead and go to market. You can go elsewhere. We appreciate the two years we got from you here. We got to the NLCS in one of those years. It just wasn't quite the fit that we were hoping it would be. We'll both go our separate ways. What if a team decided to do this, Alex? And they said, you know what? We're not going to re-sign him. That 15 years... $500 million, we'll let somebody else deal with that down the road. But right now, Juan Soto is in the prime of his career. He's 23 years old. We could have him signed for the next two seasons at age 24 and 25, when he's even better, potentially, than what we're currently watching or what we have seen the first five years of his career. Man, what if a team decided, in the National League in particular, eh, we're just going to take on the next two years, similar to what the Dodgers did last year with Trey Turner? And they say, you know what, we're going to take this on for now, and we'll figure out tomorrow, tomorrow. Does it expand the list in your mind of teams that could acquire him? And if so, who are some of those teams in the National League that you think could be of interest? Yeah, I don't. I, I love the idea. I don't think that's a Cardinals thing to do, but I, I think you're looking at the San Diego Padres. I think you're looking at the Dodgers. I don't think the Mets fall into that category in the National League because if the Mets do it, I think they're going to pay him the money regardless to, because it's Stephen Cohen. Um Maybe the San Francisco Giants would do something like that. I think there's only a select group of teams. The teams that I would imagine are going to do that are teams that feel like they can win the World Series this year and next year, and they just need that last piece. And if they get one of those World Series, it's a success in their mind, and then they can flip them again. But in all reality, the teams that I just mentioned, the Padres, the Dodgers, the Giants, I can see all three of those teams saying, no, we're going we're gonna to pay them this money. Yeah, I... I think the teams that would make sense if they're going to do this, because I don't think he's going in the the NL East. I, I'm not sure that they want to trade him in the division. Kind of the same conversations that we had of you don't want to see a guy in your division, especially yeah. if he's going to talk about a 15-year potential extension. You really don't want to see that guy in the NL East, at least you're trading him there to start that. So I would wipe out, like, Miami makes a ton of sense. I can't see it happening. Philly, Atlanta, and the, Met, or the Mets. I think all three, all four teams in the East are out. I think it does come down to San Diego. Will they be aggressive? That feels like an A.J. Prowler-type move. Figure it out today, and then you can figure it out later tomorrow. Uh, San Francisco, they make sense, but I'm not sure. that They make sense on paper, but I just I just don't see them making that kind of a move. I know they went out and got Chris Bryant last year, but that was more <coughs> of just a rental type. 
And then I don't know about the the Dodgers to me don't make sense. So I, I think it basically comes down to San Diego, San Francisco potentially in the National yeah. League. I, I don't know if anybody else is going to make that move. Can I throw one that would be intriguing and it does feel kind of like a team Pirates? that would be willing to do it? No, because I don't think the Pirates are, would be close is next the year. Cubs? It's Milwaukee. That was their Chris Archer move. It's Milwaukee. No, Milwaukee wouldn't do it. I, I could see Milwaukee kicking the tires on it. They are looking for another bat. I can see the Cubs get, doing it. But the Cubs aren't close. I can't see the Cubs doing that. Doesn't matter. I, it's 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 I, people coming to the games. And the reason I throw Milwaukee out there, and I know a lot of people say, "Well, why would they do that? They're not gonna. They don't. They wouldn't have the money to do that." If you're gonna get rid of them after that's that, that's what I would. Work. I actually year, don't think they have the money to do it. See, I think I, it's a really interesting possibility, but I don't, I don't think, think they, they have the prospects to do it. I think they could the players to do it. I think they could pull it off. The thing is, as though like next year they would have to move Pete. Like Hater would have to be out next yeah. year. Uh, there'd have to be someone else that would have to leave the books. Like uh, I'm trying to think of someone off the top of my head. Maybe you move one of your starters. Plus, you probably have to move one of those starters in this trade. I think they're an interesting team. To, like could be sitting under the radar and be kicking the tires on this. But I agree. With you. I don't think they pull it off. But they are a team that I would say. Hey, this feels like the kind of move Milwaukee would do. Like they were super aggressive last year, and I get it. Willie Thomas is not Juan Soto, and he's not making that kind of money. They pulled that deal off, and I thought it made no sense at the time. He ended up becoming their saving grace. They know that their window's closing with the group of players that they have based on the money that they're making, and with the Yelich contract not working out, I could see them kicking the tires on Juan Soto. In all reality, I think there's only three teams in the National League that could pull this off, and then I think there's more in the American League that make more sense. I think the three in the National League are the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Giants. I, I think those are the three teams because I don't think the Mets, I don't, I don't think they're going to trade them to the Mets because they don't want to have to see them as many times as they would. It's going to be Dodgers. Dodgers, Padres, or Giants, and then it's the American League. I think that's it. I So this is how we get back to the Cardinals. And again, I don't think that the Cardinals will do this. But if we expand the conversation to, okay, not re-signing Juan Soto, and instead you do the two-year deal thing and then potentially flip him again in year three to recoup some of those prospects that you lost in the original deal. Here's the kind of return that I think it would potentially take for a Juan Soto. You're looking at Walker, either Gorman and Tyler O'Neill, or like those two guys, or Dylan Carlson, Liberator, and Gordon Graceffo. So you're looking at Walker, Liberator, Graceffo, and then you could either include two of Gorman and O'Neill, or... Uh, Dylan Carlson. So I'm you're not, either looking at a five-man trade or a four-man trade in that scenario. I'm not doing it. I'm not either. No. And, and like, I know people hear that and they're like, wow, the Cardinals aren't trying. You got to give it the old college try. No, you, you really don't. Like, sometimes it actually doesn't make sense to go get the splashy name. And in this scenario, I'm sorry, I don't think it makes logical sense for the Cardinals to go out and get Juan yeah. Soto. The, the, the trade ends when they say Jordan Walker. If you're going beyond Jordan Walker, I'll listen to it. But as soon as you say the name Jordan Walker, it's not happening. Over the next five years, I think you will get more production out of Walker, Gorman, and Carlson than you would out of Juan Soto. And And that is not to suggest that any of those three would be better than Juan Soto. They will not. You are not getting another Juan Soto. Juan Soto is this generation's Ted Williams. He is a superstar to the nth degree. You want him on your team, but this trade is just going to cost too much for the Cardinals to be able to realistically acquire him. So I I do think that if you're looking at who could do this kind of a deal, I think the way that it gets done 
is Patrick Corbin is included. And you're going to take on like $30 million basically in dead money each of the next few years. This is how the David Price contract got included in the Mookie Betts deal. That's how the Dodgers made it work. And that's how you get teams like the Padres or the Giants or the Yankees or somebody like that. Maybe even the Red Sox, somebody in that ilk. I think that's how you get them to make a deal. Because then they would have to include less in terms of prospect currency and they just take on dead money from the Nationals, and they basically get to clear their books in that situation. So that I think that's the way that this eventually goes down, is that you get Juan Soto and Patrick Corbin in the deal together. I agree. I think that is what it would take to get it done, is you have to put Corbin involved in it. And that, that also is the reason why I don't think that would make all the sense in the world for the Cardinals. We talked about Patrick Corbin just in terms of just acquiring him himself. He's got a big contract. You don't want to pay that kind of money for a guy that can't seem to pitch anymore, doesn't have the arm to live up to that contract. And Soto, again, not sure it makes all that sense to go get him. And that's why I think I'm with you, where all those big teams like the Dodgers, maybe not necessarily the Dodgers, but the Padres, the Giants, uh, you want to throw in the American League teams, the Yankees, the Red Sox, they seem like the teams that would be willing to take that on. And I'll, I'll tell you now, I would not rule out the Yankees potentially going to go get Juan Soto and then potentially locking him up on that 15-year deal and then letting Aaron Judge walk. Yeah. Yeah, I think Aaron Judge ends up being a guy that makes sense for San Francisco in in that discussion that you were talking about, Alex. And that's the way that both of those teams end up getting the guy they want. The Yankees get a younger, team-controlled guy for the next few years, and then they eventually re-sign Juan Soto long-term. And the San Francisco Giants this offseason end up signing Aaron Judge. I think that could be something that we end up seeing yeah, here. Yeah, that makes sense. Could- Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're talking to Matt Larkin of the Daily Faceoff about what he's hearing on the Matthew Kachuk front. But coming up next, 65780 is your comfort service X line. Better to forget it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. It's a Juan Soto version and Matthew Kachuk version, BK. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. Speaking of Juan Soto and Matthew Kachuk, Matthew Kachuk is traded by the end of July. Bet it or forget it. Uh, I'll forget it because I think this could go into August. I think that deadline is August 11th. And I think Calgary is just going to try and exhaust all options. See if any desperate team jumps in last minute. Uh, so I'll, I'll say I'll forget this. I think it could happen will happen but i think it might be in august yeah i'm gonna forget this as well i'm with alex i think it's gonna go pretty close to that deadline which i think is in the middle of august so i don't think he'll be dealt by the end of july i think maybe early august mid-august is about the time you see matthew kachuk get dealt this is where you answer bk i know i i think i would go early august so i'm gonna forget it but man i don't know i After seeing this yesterday, it totally changed. It flipped my opinion on the entire situation. I thought that it was possible the Flames were just going to kind of run this thing back and see where they're at midseason and then potentially trade them at the deadline. And then you just have a a stud player that's available to you at the deadline. I I think you're going to have to, if you want to 
competitively rebuild if you're Calgary, you got to trade him now because trade deadline, you're not getting that much. Yeah. Trade mm-hmm. deadline, the most, the most you're going to get is a first round pick and an okay prospect. And it's going to be tough to move his salary slot too. Yeah. Yep. Because the teams that are going to make the move for Matthew Kachuk are trying to add to a Stanley Cup chase and you're not going to trade away. Like if you're the Blues, you're not going to trade. I would, but you're not going to trade Jordan Kyrou for Matthew Kachuk because Kyrou's already played with your team this season. Exactly. And the other thing is like, at that point in time, you're going to have to include a third team for the money. So, like, if the Blues wanted to trade, let's say it ended up being some kind of package that included Jordan Cairo and, like, a Scott Perunovich plus a draft pick. Well, that doesn't – the the math doesn't add up for the money. You're about halfway there. You're going to have to include a third team and send a first-round pick to them mm-hmm. to take on a portion of that salary from Matthew Kachuk. So – it just becomes even more complicated. It's already complicated now. It becomes even more so once you get to the trade. Absolutely. Line. So I, I don't think it goes there as well. 65780 is your comfort service tax line. I like this one from the 573. Better to forget it. By the time they're both 26 years old, Juan Soto and Dylan Carlson are similar in terms of their offensive production. Yeah, forget it. Yeah, forget that. You're forgetting because Soto's not as good as gonna, Carlson's going to be, right? Yeah, of course. Okay, that's what I yeah, thought. Yeah, yeah. I feel like sometimes when we say that we don't think the Cardinals should trade for Juan Soto, people hear that and think that we're saying that Juan Soto isn't very good. I hope that Makes people sense. understand that is not what we are saying. Juan Soto I mean, is... Casing, not me. What, one of the three best hitters in Major League Baseball right now? Maybe well, the best pure hitter in Major Dylan League Baseball? Carlson. And Walker. Like, uh, and Gorman. He's unbelievable. But he's going to be really expensive soon. And... Because he's 23 years old, it's going to cost an ungodly amount in prospects to be able to take him on. And if you're going to take on the uh, Patrick Corbin deal, which is like $26 million and then I think 30 something million dollars the next year, that that limits what you're able to do in free agency and to be able to improve your roster around him. So, yeah, I, I just don't think it's going to make sense for this team, unfortunately. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. Yadier Molina ends up starting two out of every five days for the rotation whenever he returns. Forget it. One of every five days. Just for Wayno. Just for Wayno. No, I'll 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 um I'll bet this one. Because I think if Yadi's coming back, he's coming back for this this stretch run. I, I think you're probably looking at two or three out of every five five games that he starts. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to bet this. I I think they really kind of want him to take the starters, if you want to call it starters bulk. I think they want him to be fifty, get 50% of starts, if not a little bit more than that, just because they've seen the production from Kisner and Herrera and Romine. So I, I'll bet this. I think at, at minimum he'll get two out of every five. Yeah, I, I'm forgetting two out of every five. I think it's closer to three out of every five, maybe four. Like I, I think he ends up returning by the end of the year to typical Yachty form because he's going to get to the end of the season and you're going to have Yadier Molina feeling that October juices flowing through his body and he's going to see what uh, Albert Pujols has been seeing lately, which is, okay, this is my last run. I'm going to put everything into it and let's see where that ends up getting this team. So that, that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, bet it or forget it. If teams call the Cardinals and say one of Jordan Walker, Walker or Mason Wynn's names, they are hung up on by John Mosella. No, bet it. Bet it. Basically, bet it. better to forget it. Walker and Win are untouchable. Yeah. Bet it. Bet it. Mo would say you got the wrong number. Yeah. So new phone. Who dis? Yeah. I, 
I'm I'd sorry. S- I thought I thought you said Paul DeYoung, but did you say Mason Wynn? Yeah. Oh, they're, okay. they're close in profile. Trust me. Go go on my work. Yeah, I'd bet this. Those two are untouchable in my opinion. And I think the Cardinals have you that. I think the Cardinals untouchable list is a lot longer than just those two as well. Uh, I'm betting it as well. I do not think that either play. I, I'm definitely betting it for Jordan Walker. Yeah. I'm a little more hesitant on Mason Wynn just because like if 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 Cleveland calls and says we Shane Bieber for Mason Wynn and a couple of other prospects, I'm making that deal. Exactly. Like I, I do think there are deals in which it makes sense to trade Mason Wynn. Like if Juan Soto was traded, this is not gonna happen. But and they said Mason Wynn is the headliner in that deal. Okay, yeah, we can talk. Yeah. Now we can have a conversation about that. Absolutely. Um, but they would not say that and the Cardinals in any realistic scenario, likely are not trading those two players. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to dive into the junk drawer. But next, Matt Larkin joins the show. He's a senior writer for the Daily Faceoff. They have some excellent work over there. They've got some great reporters, including Matt Larkin. What does he think happens with Matthew Kachuk? We'll ask him next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Chuck rumors they continue to swirl and alongside Brandon Kylie and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Alex Ferrario and to get updates on Matthew Kachuk let's be honest Matt Larkin of did the daily face-off he knew what he was getting into when he agreed to come on with us today we head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line he's one of my favorites Matt Larkin who works for the daily face-off uh, does phenomenal work you could follow him on Twitter at M Larkin Matt how are you today buddy oh I'm good very good sort of starting to feel the come down from the crazy wave of free agency, except it's a strange year where we've got two of the top guys still out there, Nazem Kadri and John Klingberg. So it feels like we're just waiting to start our summers. So hopefully these guys sign soon. Well, that that's what I think a lot of people are focused on. And then of course, in St. Louis, Matt, all of this Matthew Kachuk news continues to swirl around of, you know, him not going to arbitration and then the team filing for arbitration last night. Where are you at with Matthew Kachuk in Calgary? Are you starting to lean towards he's going to be traded soon? I think I am. And I think that was sort of the, 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 the word on the street, the whispers, if you will, and it was if Johnny Gaudreau is not part of the long-term plans, will it mean that Matthew Kachuk does not want to be part of the long-term plans as well? And there are so many different scenarios you could see playing out. Would it be a trade to Ottawa? Would it be there? I think the St. Louis connection, of course, the family connection there is very important. I think it would be fair to consider the Blues a front runner. Of course, a team that I assume would want to be all in to get Kachuk especially because he's just such a difference maker as a player. He can do everything. He's physical. He has a 100-point season under his belt now. Not even his dad had that. There are so many things he does well, and I think he can really single-handedly change a team's fortunes. So if it seems like there's not going to be a long-term resolution, it's crazy because the Calgary Flames, to me, they were a team I thought was a Stanley Cup contender. I had them going all the way to the final. They just had sort of a lapse in their goaltending. And they still, to me, were a cup contender on paper. Now you remove one popsicle stick from the little house, Johnny Gaudreau, and it seems like there's talk of rebuilding, blowing up the whole thing, which is just crazy to to think about at the moment. If Matthew Kachuk ends up being traded, Matt, and you see the Blues potentially offering a guy like, uh, let's say it's a Jordan Cairo, is that probably going to be the best player that ends up becoming available for Calgary in a deal is, is a guy like a Jordan Cairo? 
Yes, I think that's the exact player that I would point to. I think the Packers would, of course, have to include more than him. You could see like a Scott Perunovich tossed in there, maybe a Zach Bolduc as well. I think it might take all three of those players, for example. And I even wonder, would Calgary need you to fold in another roster player, a veteran from the, from the Blues lineup? I don't think someone like Robert Thomas would be part of it. Obviously, he just signed the long-term deal. But the fact that Cairo still hasn't signed his extension yet, and we know it's going to be big money, you could use even Robert Thomas as a comparable, I think there's, there's sort of a, a mystery when you look at his long-term fate, which is similar to what you see with Kachuk. So I think absolutely the package would have to start with Kyrie. He would be the player I would choose to go the other way. If this does come to be, Matt, and again, if all signs start pointing to Matthew Kachuk being traded, you would imagine St. Louis is at the front of this conversation. How would you view that team? And I guess the, the second part of that question is, how do you view that this team now without Matthew Kachuk on it? Yeah, it's it's tough because obviously you can't exactly know what the return would be. But let's say if we play it out in our minds and it's Kyrie going the other way, then yes, of course, the Blues would be a major contender in the Western Conference. I just really like their forward depth. I think it was a major strength last year. I still think it's a strength even with David Perron gone. Obviously, he was an absolute wizard on the power play. But without him there, if you're bringing in Matthew Kachuk in that scenario, you're still going to have a really strong top six, top nine even. The weird thing with the Blues for me is that, you know, they're a really well-coached team, and I really like their forward group, but defensively, they've really slipped in the last couple of years. This is not the Blues team. If you go back 10 years ago to the teams under Ken Hitchcock that were allowing so few shots, even the team that won the Stanley Cup in 2019, this version of the Blues team, they give up a lot of chances. They were one of the, the weakest, if not the weakest, defensive team going into the playoffs, and it was really the play of Billy Huso, especially in the regular season, that, re- that masked those tendencies, and I don't know if those, those tendencies have been repaired. With all due respect to Nick Letty, bringing him in, you get the veteran presence, but if you actually look at his underlying numbers, you could argue he was caved in a little bit defensively during the playoffs. So I see a similar team. I see a team that has great firepower, great forward depth. I think Jordan Bennington showed signs, especially in the playoffs before he got hurt, of turning things around, so hopefully an above-average goaltender. And I still think subpar defensive play. So to me, that makes for a very interesting team. I found the Blues this past season were the most entertaining version of themselves that I've seen in a long time. So I would say this would be a contending team, an entertaining team, but a team that needs to improve defensively. So let's go down this uh, winding path together here for a moment, Matt, because we talked to Jeremy Rutherford earlier today and he said he thinks that the Blues could still be active. Like it's it might be a Matthew Kachuk trade and then they might also end up moving in part because of the money that is required to be moved. Vladimir Tarasenko as well. So you could see something like the top three right wingers from this team a year ago no longer being on the roster in 2022. If that ends up happening and they had to go back to the market for another winger, are there anybody is there anybody on the market that you think makes sense for the Blues in that like probably mid-level type of money? Like we're talking about 2 to 3 million dollars or below. Is there anybody that could still help them that's out there on the market? There is, especially if you're looking the 2 to 3 million dollar range, I think someone like Evan Rodriguez would be someone to look at. He showed some really nice flashes with Pittsburgh. He's got great speed. And he wasn't, you know, a top-tier prospect, but he popped a little bit back in the day playing college on a line with Jack Eichel. I think he showed flashes, and I think he brings some nice speed to the table as well. Uh, if you're looking for a tier above that, I think one of the better wingers who's still on the market is Nito Niederreiter. He's pretty versatile. He can play left or right wing. He has a bit of a goal-scoring touch. He's physical. He's durable. So that would be sort of a mid-range guy. That would be in a, a scenario where Tarasenko was going out because I don't think you could afford Niederreiter the other way. 
And the, the other question in my mind in terms of just money, and let's say Tarasenko was still staying around, can you find a way to move Marco Scandella's contract? Because that's someone who I don't think is really part of the long-term solution. And I don't want to say it's dead money, but I don't think it's a contract that has aged particularly well. Uh, and that's, I think, a cap hit you, you'd love to get off the books, in my opinion, if you're Doug Armstrong, and that would free up space to pursue more depth than whether it's a guy like an Evan Rodriguez or Nino Niederreiter. Sticking on the defensive side, Matt, your teammate uh, at Daily Faceoff, Frank Saravalli, put that out there, I think it was right before free agency, that uh, there have been conversations uh, kind of surrounding Tory Krug. If it's not Marco Scandella, can you see there being interest for Tory Krug on the trade market? Absolutely. I think just because his skill set is something that every team covets. He's an excellent puck mover. He plays with, I think, more fire than a lot of defensemen his size as well. He plays bigger than his size. He's got a lot of experience, deep playoff runs as well. So to me, I could see there being a market, especially because Tory Krug, his numbers as a blue have not obviously been what they were with the, with the Boston Bruins when he had so many of the elite forwards on the planet playing with him on that power play. Of course, that's going to elevate his numbers. But the thing is, he has shown what he's capable of if you surround him with the right teammates, put him in the right situation. You throw him on a contending team with a really high octane offense. I think his numbers can pop again. With Blues, with the Blues, you could argue there's a bit of redundancy, right? So you have Nick Letty who can move the puck on the left side. You also have Justin Falk who's capable of moving the puck on the right side. Even Colton Pareko, he's a puck mover. Scott Perunovich is a puck mover. You have a lot of mobility on this blue line. So I don't know whether that's why we haven't seen Tory Krug completely spread his wings, but I don't think the upside is gone by any means. And in the right situation, I think plenty of teams would be interested in him. Final question that I've got for you, Matt. When you look at the Western Conference playoff teams from a year ago, how many of them do you think are better today than they were when they went to the playoffs last year? Ooh, that's a good question. I think the Los Angeles Kings are, uh, of course, bringing in Kevin Fiala. I think they've sort of uh, officially, not officially, but unofficially, I guess is the better way to put it, announced that their rebuild is over. They're moving into contention mode. They reached that critical mass of young players. So Fiala, obviously, is a huge upgrade to their top six. I don't know if the Edmonton Oilers are better, per se, but I do think that just the way they've handled their offseason has been a massive win so far. Bringing in Jack Campbell, I do think, is an upgrade over Mike Smith. And just the fact they were able to keep Evander Kane and manage to relieve themselves of Mike Smith and Duncan Keith on their salary cap. So many things have gone right. They bring back Brett Kulak as well. So to me, the Oilers, you could argue, maybe got a tiny bit better. Overall, though, if I'm looking at the West, I think the East has been the more aggressive conference upgrading so far. And most of the Western Conference, to me, has been more stagnant, especially in the Central Division. If you look at whether it's Winnipeg or Nashville or Dallas, even Colorado, they're just fighting to keep their pieces, right? So the Central, to me, is a lot more wide open to the taking if there's a team that can make an upgrade between now and the start of the season. Matt, you're one of the best, buddy. Always appreciate the time. Uh, a very heavy workload over these last couple of weeks, but you guys have done great work over at the Daily Faceoff. So enjoy the little bit of vacation, and we look forward to talking with you again once the uh, season starts back up. Thank you, guys. Anytime. There you go. Matt Larkin, senior writer for the Daily Faceoff. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at MLarkinHockey. Uh, BK, real quick. Uh, that's the one piece that I that I could also see happening. As much as we sit here and talk about the Blues finding another forward if they have to trade Tarasenko, if Kachuk finds a way to St. Louis, there still are guys on the market. 
And they might not be the sexy names, and I know people go back to Perron and, oh, you should have just signed him. But Matt's right. I mean, you could go the Nito Niederreiter route because this is a guy who has proven to be a two-way forward and can score goals. He fills a void on your top six if you lose Tarasenko and Cairo and get Kachuk. You can go the route of Evan Rodriguez, who is probably a little bit better than Jake Neighbors, but he's a third-line guy. Or you could sign a Phil Kessel and bring that offense in to play on the wing. Like, there are still options that aren't via trade if you have to move Tarasenko, if you have to move Kairou, and you acquire Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, and if you end up getting one of those guys on that, like, mid-level deal, you know, and I, I know earlier today, I, I think I saw it somewhere that it's possible that the um, the Calgary Flames would be looking for one more, like, NHL-level player as opposed to a prospect. Maybe they end up, maybe that's the Barbashev situation where you end up having to include him in this kind of a deal and he would fit what Daryl Sutter likes as his players. So, and then you would have to replace that production as well. And that's again, where you go back to the market and you say, okay, Phil Kessel, could, could he give us, you know, the 45 points to 50 points that we're expecting this year out of Barbie. He goes about it differently. Like they're not the same player. It's kind of like but- Mike Hoffman signed with the blues. Like he's not the prototypical blues player, but you're just looking for the best, best opportunity from a signing yeah or, or an Evan Rodriguez somebody like that you go out there and you try to find one two guys that can just fill holes in your middle six because the thing about adding a guy like Matthew Kachuk what he does he makes it easier to mask some of the deficiency that that you have either in the middle six or with your defensive core this defensive core is not going to be top five in the league like when you look at it right now probably not even top 10 it's not constructed that way so you have to be able to outscore your defensive issues. A guy like Matthew Kachuk allows you to have the opportunity to do exactly that. I hope we get more news on this because it's fascinating and there's so many more pieces that come into this puzzle uh, when it comes to the Blues and Matthew Kachuk. Speaking of the Blues, in about 15 minutes, we're going to go into more Blues conversation. But this line, it's, this time it's not about Matthew Kachuk. It's about the balance of this team, including their fourth line. That's in 15 next is the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. guys i don't know how much of gamers either of you are like playing video games bk what was the last time you picked up a video game was it pong man honestly it's been a minute i do not i'm not much of a gamer when i was a kid i would do more of it i was like almost entirely sports games i would play a little call of duty but that was pretty much it I know Tanner is all in on this stuff, though. Like, yeah. he was a World of Warcraft guy oh, yeah. growing up. He's a Sims guy. He, he used to create a Sim of himself because it lived a better life. I about because that's not Tebow. His Sims could afford Ethernet cables. Oh, I bet he could. Yeah. <laughs> got a new Tanner, land. you are a gamer, a though, land, right? Yeah, too. you play video you say games, things Tebow. like noob. Yeah, you call us noobs. Yeah, but that's because I'm just hip. Uh, I don't know about I, that. I you do, just said you're hip. I do play. I do play some, but I, I haven't played a lot. So, since, so uh, the reason I bring this up for our junk tour today is because there's a video game that was just released that I like. Where are we at in the video game world that this is the concept of games? It's called Stray, and essentially what it is 
is you're a stray cat. You, the, the main character that you are playing is you are a stray cat. That's okay. it. It's it's like a game that, that you walk around as a stray cat. Now, I'm sure there's probably more it's like of, a campaign. I, I'm sure there's more of like a, a strategy behind it. Like maybe you're a stray cat that's trying to find food. But what in what in God's green earth would make somebody go out and say, I have to buy this video game stray so I can play a cat? Let me explain to you another video game, Alex. You are a human and you go about your life Fortune in your radio. daily activities. <laughs> and you think including, I'm sitting at home wondering if I what life would be like as a cat? Including sleeping and working out. Yeah, I don't do and do uh, eating, I going do to the grocery store. Like, The Sims was one of the biggest games in the world for a significant period of time. And I'm supposed to be, like, feeling like this is a weird no, thing. The Sims made sense when you were a kid. Like, I don't see a lot of, maybe there's a lot of adults playing The Sims. But, like, Sims made sense when I was 13 years old and living with my parents. Wondering what life was like when I'm an adult living by myself. That's make not, it realistic. I, I'm never sitting around wondering what it's like to be a cat. Like, even... Even you, who sits at home and looks at your dog, Bell, do you sit there and wonder, hey, I wonder what life would be like like a dog? I'm gonna 100%. Go yes, I very oh, much wonder and that. you're going to go drop $60 to play a video game about life as a dog? No, I'm not necessarily saying that. But, like, first of all, the reviews on this game are, are incredible. Um, apparently, <laughs> it's what, getting very good reviews. That's what Mike, because Mike Ryder, our, our, our boss, essentially here, he, he plays video games. And he said, oh, yeah, the reviews on it are incredible. He's looking forward to it. I'm like, what? Stray review. One, one small step for cats. One giant leap for action-adventure <laughs> games. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> Get Stray, a game in which here. you play as a cute cat, is a meowster piece. <laughs> I, I think I think there is one, too, that's... Uh, Next thing you I know... There's Billy, isn't there, like, Billy Goat or Goat Simulator? Next I thing you know, I'm going to go get too. a video game where I can milk a cow. There that is, there is a the lot Farmer Simulator. I know that's a real Stray game. review. Like, Press we... pause, P-A-W-S, for adorable life as a post-apocalyptic... Yeah, from the... Okay. <laughs> From the 618, lost, alone, and separated from family, a stray cat must untangle an ancient mystery to escape a long-forgotten city. Get the hell that out of here. That sounds amazing. Yeah, what's oh, wrong with get you? out of here. Like, no. I have actually hey. completely changed my tomb. This sounds so much more interesting no. than The Sims ever was. No, it yeah. is not at all. Yeah. No. That's ridiculous. You could build a you could build a house and build a pool when you're this, 15 years old and wonder what it's like to be a this sim. Beats, this beats Sims. This beats Zoo Tycoon. This beats any racing game you've ever played. I had a friend who who played Sims all the time. Friend, and he used to like build a house and just trap people in it. And I'm like, yeah, you, you might be to, a serial killer in 10 years. You just want to say it's you that did that. I, I haven't heard from him in a while, so maybe that's probably where he where he's at. Here's right another now. one. Stray isn't just an adorable cat game. It's a thoughtful sci-fi story about the intersection of the natural and mechanical world. Oh my god, this is so that's dumb. Good stuff. I, I, I'm sorry, but yeah, somebody said Ferrario hates fun. If that it sounds does. fun for you, by all means, enjoy it. I, Honestly, uh, I don't know I, what they're talking I, about. I think it sounds great. Oh my god, BK, you, know, you should get it and start playing it. On, yeah, your next I think I'm going to be a gamer while yeah. I'm out on my COVID absence. Yeah. Well, enjoy being a cat. I'm sure everybody wonders what life is like as a cat. 
Have you, you've really never wondered what life is like as your dog? Yeah, but I'm not going to go spend hours in front of a television and drop $65 to figure it out on a video game. I mean, I'm with him on that. I've always, sure. I always wonder what it'd be like to be a dog, but I wouldn't spend 60 bucks to sit down. On I think we're all on the same page I've also there, wonder what life don't... is like as an Italian plumber chasing down a dinosaur who trapped a princess. But at least that was a better premise of a video game. Oh, I got what you're talking about. It took you that long? Sorry. Like, just think about it. Video so maybe you're games, talking about your second job. Video games, the ones that are good, they make sense. Someone texted in and talked about Grand Theft Auto in that video game. Oh, it's better to go around shooting people. No, not at all. But that's more entertaining, I would imagine, for individuals than being a cat. Do you remember Crash Bandicoot? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, was that premise all that much different than this? I don't really remember the premise of that video game, to be honest with he you. He spun but like, around and hit boxes. At least Donkey Kong was enjoyable. I don't have to roam a world trying to figure out how to do it as a cat. Fair enough, man. I, I think this sounds like a great game. And if you're somebody that's enjoyed this, please well, tell us about your experience. Yeah, what's your, what's your comfort service we'll get you this. Yeah, I was we'll going to say, we'll birthday. go in on this together and buy you a cat video game. What's it's coming up in November. It's my 30th. It's a big one. So oh, go ahead and get this you one. Definitely, this, this I'll be out of town at that time. Every gift you get for your 30th birthday. I'll be out of town. Coming up in 15 minutes, it's a Tuesday, it's All-Star Week, it's a Tender Tuesday here on BK and Ferrario. We'll do that coming up at 1.15. Eric Francis of Sportsnet joins the show coming up at 1.30. But next, Alex is excited about the Blues' fourth line. Who could have seen that one coming? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Honestly, with Achari and Levo, if you put the right guy on that wing, you've got another shutdown line. You've got a line similar to 2019 when you had, you know, Sonny, Barbie, and Steen. Not as as credited as those guys, but that's what you kind of created. Last year, at one point, your fourth line, you couldn't put it on the ice. If you had the wrong matchup, you were scrambling. Get off! Change! (laughs) They're in our end. I don't care! Get off! You won't have that next year. So in Minion, that's where the balance is. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. That was Jamie Rivers yesterday on the fast lane talking about how the fourth line gives the Blues more depth and more balance than what they had in the lineup a year ago. And Alex, I think that's objectively true. Like you look at the options that they have currently available for them on the fourth line. It's just a better group than what you had last year going into the season. Noel Chari is a proven fourth-line performer. Josh Levo is a guy that has done this before. Now, last year, he spent most of his time in the AHL. He's only 29 years old, so he's not like up there in age necessarily, but spent the majority of the time down in the AHL and was a crazy good performer down there for them last season. Alexi Torbchenko, when he gets back from his injury, is going to be somebody that fits into this mix. And then you've got Nathan Walker and Logan Brown back as well as options for you. That's better than what you had on the fourth line last year. I guess my question would be this, though. Does it make up for what you're missing in the top six this year with no longer having David Perron? Is that How, how do you view this fourth line 
given what you're missing now in your top six? Well, I guess the question you're asking is, what are you trying to make up? Because these fourth liner, I mean, Noel Achari's bringing some some veteran presence and leadership into your locker room. I mean, he's been to the Stanley Cup a couple of times with the Boston Bruins. He played with Florida the last couple of seasons. Like, it's a guy who's been there before, which I think is always good to have in your locker room. But are are you expecting to add David Perron like status? No, you're not going to get that from these group of players. So so don't take take this the wrong way here. But you're trying to fill the void left by 27 goals that David Perron or 30 goals that he scored in the regular season. You're not going to get all of that from one player. But as a combined unit, you're going to get more than what you got on the fourth line last season. We talked last year about the amount of fourth liners that the Blues played with. I think the number was at like eight or nine that they went through. You know how many goals came from your fourth line last season? Players who played on your fourth line in the regular season. How many goals do you think came from that group? Say that again, BK. You cut out there. 12? 15. You got 15 goals from the amount of players that you had on your fourth line. Now, again, I don't know if you're going to get more production than that, but consistency is the name of the game here. You want to have the same line do the same thing throughout a season for you, barring any injury. Look at what Colorado just accomplished with Darren Helm and Andrew Cogliano and Logan O'Connor. So I think what the Blues are looking at here is maybe you get 10 goals from Noel Achari. Maybe you get 10 goals from Alexi Torpchenko. Maybe you get 10 goals from Josh Levo. I doubt that, but maybe you get five. You're hoping that they can pre they can provide a little bit more offensive consistency for Craig Berube, and you're hoping that you don't have to use the same three lines for an entire hockey game. You're hoping you don't have to play seven minutes of a hockey game with your fourth line. Because if this becomes a line that you can rely on with the Walkers and the Levos and the Martin Fricks and the Logan Browns and the Torpchenkos and the Acharis, then that's a line that you can say, you know what? We could play them 12, 13 minutes in a hockey game because we feel like they can they can contribute more than what we had last year. So you know what's funny? I actually agree with you. I, I do think that, that this helps. Because that never happens. I, I do think this is a significant boost for the Blues. But here's where I will like add a little bit of an amendment to that. I think it's a significant boost for the Blues in the regular season. I don't think this changes a whole lot for them in the playoffs. We saw this last year where... Even when the fourth line was performing well, they weren't playing all that much. Because once you get to the playoffs, you want your best players on the ice for the greatest amount of time possible. But I think that changes in the playoffs now with guys that you can trust. But that, by the by the end of the regular season, or by the end of the playoffs, like I understand they were doing the 11 and 7 thing, but they did have guys on that fourth line. The, the two that were playing regularly were trusted members. Like Alexi Torpchenko was even working his way up to third line minutes at times. Tyler Bozek was a guy that they trusted in every situation. Now they were missing that third piece. I understand that, but some of that was also the power play, the Krug injury, all of that went into it. But by the end, they kind of trusted them. And they still were not playing very much. And there was a reason for it. It's because this team was really deep in their top nine. And they hope to have something similar this year. So in the playoffs, do I think adding Noel Achari and adding a guy like uh, or getting Logan Brown more opportunities and having Josh Levo, do I think that's going to change what, what they get out of their, their fourth line in the playoffs? Uh, maybe a little bit. But I think the biggest thing is it takes some of the load off of your top nine in the regular season. So when you get to the playoffs, they don't have as many bumps and bruises as they otherwise would have to. Adding that extra two, three minutes per game to that load, it doesn't sound like a lot. And in any individual game, honestly, it's not. But when you're playing 82 of them, 
it starts to develop over time. I mean, you're talking about an extra 250 minutes of hockey if you take off three minutes per game for those guys over the course of the season. Man, that's a big load. That's like playing an extra four or five games in total for each of them. So, yeah, I, I do think it ultimately it matters in the regular season. I don't want to overstate things, though, in terms of like what I think it means for the Blues in the grand scheme of things. I don't think it changes a ton for the fourth line of the playoffs, but I do think it helps them in the regular season. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it also helps in the playoffs. I, I mean, look no further than the, the Colorado Avalanche, and I know they weren't playing – 20 minutes a night like they won that because of the Kale McCars and the McKinnons and the Nachushkins but I mean look who scored the game winning goal to eliminate the Blues in the second round it was a fourth liner like you got to have moments from your fourth line and at, at points in the playoffs for Craig Berube Tyler Bozak wasn't on the ice Alexi Torpchenko would be getting moved up but it was because somebody on the third line was underperforming everybody's got to step up here. But I think when you're talking about managing the workload that you're losing in David Perron, it's kind of a wolf pack mentality. Like we've talked about. I think the hope is neighbors does more Kyrou. Well, neighbors does whatever he provides because he hasn't been here. Kyrou does more. Tarasenko does more. Saad does more. And your fourth line does more. If you get that, then I don't know if the blues are sitting there wondering, man, if we would have had David Perron this season. So the other thing that, uh, we do need to discuss in terms of like an under the radar move that the Blues decided to make. So they have a backup goalie, kinda. He was the uh, the Detroit Red Wings starter last year. Don't look at any of the numbers; they're not good. He played for the Red Wings. It was not a good situation. Nick Letty's weren't either, and now that turned out. Oh man, we're gonna sting. <laughs> it was okay. So how do you pronounce this gentleman's last name? Thomas Grice. Grice. Thomas Grice. This is according to. Uh, Doug Armstrong is, quote, an experienced player that allows Joel Hofer the ability to continue to grow at the AHL level. If that growth continues the way that it did last year, we envision Hofer being a part of this equation very soon. Alex, I'm going to read between the lines here a bit. I think that what Craig Button told us was a few weeks ago now when he said, hey, I think Joel Hofer is going to be good enough and I think he's ready to be the backup goalie this year. He might have been on to something. I think this is the insurance that we thought the Blues were going to sign in Charlie Lindgren, but instead it comes in the form of Thomas Grice. Lindgren got the three-year deal, so of course they're not going to go that far because they think Hofer is their future. I think Joel Hofer, by the end of the season, has a real chance to be your backup goalie in the NHL. I'm with you. I, I, I said this when the signing happened, that it reminded me a lot of the Chad Johnson signing, and we all know how that went in 2018-19. I don't know if Thomas Grice is that bad, but I do think Thomas Grice is a stopgap. Thomas Grice is essentially you got to get to potentially the all-star break, trade deadline, and see where Joel Hofer's at. Joel Hofer had a really good season with what did he end up? He only had six wins, but had a 934 save percentage. And in the playoffs, I mean, he was a he was arguably the same, if not better, than Charlie Lindgren. So the hope is you're there. I just don't know if I don't know if. I believe Joel Hofer's ready yet because I, I still think you got to get goaltenders seem to take a long time to develop for that NHL game in terms of playing in the minors and getting that pro hockey status under your belt before you get the NHL opportunity. He looked okay when he played at the NHL level this year, but I just seem to think that Doug Armstrong and company view Hofer as a great number three. If you need him this season, Grice can be your number two and next year Hofer is your number two, but I don't know if I trust Grice to give you 
15 to 20 victories in a season because that's essentially what you're probably going to need from a goaltender. Back I guess goaltender. here's here's the thing though. Like before last year, Thomas Grice had been pretty good. He was like really in terms good with of the Islanders. I mean, even before then, like, so let's go 2010 all the way up until before last year. So eliminate last year from it. He's 37 years old. So maybe last year was just, we saw everything kind of come to all that's possible. But before then, in the 10 years prior, he had a 915 save percentage. He gave up about 2.6 goals on average. Like he was a perfectly adequate backup goalie option for teams. I, I think that's kind of what the blues are looking for. Like if he can start, 30 to 35 games for you this year. Keep Jordan Bennington healthy for the regular season and fresh for the playoffs. I think that's what they're hoping for out of him. And if you get to January and he's not getting the job done, it ain't hard for them to move on and say, no. you know what, we're bringing up Joel Hofer and we're going to find out if Joel Hofer's ready for this opportunity. Right. Now, the one thing people do need to remember, and we talked about this last week, Thomas Grice did win the Jennings Trophy when he was with the Islanders uh, and Robin Leonard, which is essentially the best duo in the National Hockey League amongst goaltenders. I, I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury and, and Robin Leonard won that a couple of years ago. So, you know, it's not like Thomas Grice is a bad goaltender. It's just he's 36 years old. He's played on a bad team for a couple of seasons, and you don't know what you're going to get. But... I said the same thing about Carter Hutton. I said the same thing about Brian Elliott. I said the same thing about Jake Allen. Now, Jake Allen was younger, obviously, but every time it seems to be the Blues rely on a backup goaltender, they're like, who the hell is this guy? That guy seems to come through with a couple of big moments for him. I actually really like the signing. Like the, the And one of the reasons why is because as a 32-year-old back in 2018, he also had a really bad year. 892 save percentage, gave up almost full four goals against per game. He started or started 25 games that year for the Islanders. The following season, he bounced back with 43 starts for the Islanders and had a 930 save percentage. Like that's a guy who has gone through this before where he had his struggles and then he was able to rebound. So uh, maybe it's just gone for him, but it's also possible that he just had a down year on a bad team. And next year, he's going to be pretty good for the Blues when he's in a better system for a goalie. As long as he doesn't give up rebounds, I'm happy. Coming up in 15 minutes, Eric Francis. He writes for Sportsnet up in Canada. He covers the Calgary Flames closely. He wrote yesterday, he thinks that Matthew Kachuk's going to be traded sooner rather than later. We'll ask him what that could look like and what it means for the Blues coming up at 1.30. Tender Tuesday. Some Ooh. trade proposals coming your way next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Side Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes, Eric Francis of Sportsnet wrote yesterday, quote, less than a week after losing Johnny Goudreau, the team now very much appears on the brink of having to part with Matthew Kachuk. We'll talk to Eric Francis about why that is the case and what it could mean for the Blues coming up at 1.30. But right now, it is time for a Tinder Tuesday. I've got some proposals. Uh, let's go! I've got some trade proposals for you guys. And we've even gotten smarter with our approach. Uh. There is a website... <laughs> called BaseballTradeValues.com. They have studied hundreds of real-life trades, and they have used those as a guide for the value of what a new deal would look like. So what a 
proposed deal could potentially be. So I use that as kind of a backdrop of what these deals could look like. So these are both real and fictionalized possibilities for the Cardinals. You guys ready? Let's do it. Let's try it. All right. So let's start out with eh, something that seems a little unlikely, but we'll try it anyways. Let's trade for Mike Trout. <laughs> who, who would have thought he was going to bring this one up? Harrison Bader, Mason Wynn, Matthew Liberatore, and Michael McGreevy for Mike Trout and about $240 million remaining on the next eight years of his contract. $30 million per year, Mike Trout for Bader, Wynn, Liberatore, and McGreevy. Now, are we doing this as us or as Mo? You. Okay. you. Would you swipe right or left? So say it again. None of these. The Let me just say this on the front end. The likelihood of any of these happening gotcha. for the Cardinals is very yeah, low. Yeah, most in his office going left, left, so, left. So Bader, Wynn, Libator, McGreevy. McGreevy. That was the yep. trade for Mike Trout? Yep. I'd do that trade. I mean, you're a better team because of it. You're, you're still keeping Zach Thompson. You're still keeping Tim Kentz. You're still keeping Jordan Walker. And the only piece that you traded off of your major league roster is a guy who might not be himself when he returns for a dude who is a perennial superstar. I'd do this trade. Yeah, I'd swipe right on this as well. Oh I yeah, would, swipe I, right. Sorry. I would. I would pull. I would. I would pull this trade if you could because I, I, I as much hesitant as I would be on trading Mason Wynn, I think if you can get Mike Trout, who becomes your everyday center fielder essentially for the next eight years, or at least a part of your outfield for the next eight years. You have to pull that kind of deal off. And I think you're selling high on Libertor because I'm not sure Libertor is going to be what he's sold to be. So, yeah, I would swipe right. I would I would make this trade happen. I'm swiping right as well. I think this one makes a lot of sense for both teams, honestly. Like, you've got a future shortstop, uh, two future starters for you in L.A., and you've got your center fielder that's replacing the production, not the production offensively, but defensively replaces what you were expecting out of Mike Trout in center field. I actually think this is something that could work. Like, I, I don't know if or when the Angels will consider trading one of Trout or Shohei, but I think eventually they're going to have to get there. And when they do, if they do, I think the Cardinals make a lot of sense for Mike Trout. I'm going to continue dying on that hill. He's my new Nolan Arenado. Next one up. This is, I think this is Alex's guy. Carlos Rodon. Oh, well, he's not Thor. You mispronounced Thor. He's a legit, I mean, at a minimum, number two starter. He has strikeout stuff. When healthy, he's excellent. The question coming into the year was, is he going to be healthy? He's been healthy for the vast majority of the season. He's putting up good numbers for the Giants, and the Giants are kind of falling out of the race right now in the NL West. Would you trade Alec Burleson, Michael McGreevy, and Malcolm Nunez for Carlos Rodon? Now, remember, he has a player option at the end of this year. He's very likely going to opt out and be a free agent. So this would be for a rental. So you're trading Burleson, McGreevy, and Nunez for the rest of this season of Carlos Rodon. I'd do it. I'd swipe right on this. I, I think you still have the chance that that option is picked up if he feels like it's a contender, even though I know he would probably want to get paid more. But you're acquiring a top-end talent for your rotation. He's pitched like the number two in a rotation. Heck, he's pitched like a number one. <clears throat> Excuse me, then the Giants, so... I'm giving up a pitcher who I hope can be a part of my rotation. I'm giving up an outfielder where there's no spot for him to play. And I'm giving up an infielder where there's no spot to pay 
play for a guy who could help me chase a World Series this year. I'm swiping right. I'm swiping left. I wouldn't give up McGreevy for a rental. Uh, I, here he is, protect, oh. protecting the prospect yeah, because they're supposed to be good. Six five seven six five seven eight zero. Be sure to send something nice in for rejecting this trade. Uh, I would swipe left. I don't want to give up McGreevy for a rental. If I can get, I would be willing to depart with McGreevy in a in terms of a deal that has someone that has control. But a, a guy that's more than likely going to opt out, as much as I know they need a desperately need a top end arm, I would not be willing to give up McGreevy for a guy who's going to opt out at the end of the year. I think I would do this just because I think you have other options pitching wise other than McGreevy that are either here already or are on their way up. So I think I would swipe right on this one as well. The next one is the one that I'm super hey, swiping real on. Real quick, if you trade McGreevy's name for Libertor, I'd super swipe on that. Okay. I would I would do it if Libertor was in yeah. that instead of McGreevy. I would super swipe on that trade if Libertor's name was a part of it. Interesting. Li- Libertor technically has more value, at least according to this site. Um, and based on the prospect rankings, that's also the case. So that's why I didn't have him in that one, actually, he, because he, I thought Libertor would be giving up too much. Rodon f- f- falls into the category of the guy like Matt Holiday, where you acquire him and hope that you can get him to want to stay. That's the way I would look at it if I'm if I'm Mo. Uh, the next one up is the one that I'm super swiping on. I don't think either team will do it, but I do think it would make sense for both teams. Matthew Libertor, Alec Burleson, and Tink Hintz, who's one of the best arms in the system right now for the Cardinals, in return for Luis Castillo. Castillo makes $7 million this year. He will be 30 years old next year on the final year of his contract. So you got one and a half years of Luis Castillo for Libertor, Burleson, and Tink Hintz. Super swipe. Yep. I think T-Bone's on the same page with that sounder. I mean... You got, you got your number 1B, I think, with Luis Castillo in your rotation. That's a that's a big trade, I would assume, by some people, but I think you're getting the best value for that trade. Yeah, I'd swipe right on this. I'd be willing to pull off this deal. I know it's in the division, but I'd be willing to part with Burleson, Libertor, and even Hens to get Luis Castillo. Here's that Team Kins ends up being a stud. Like you're giving up the next guy that throws... 98 or 99 as a starter and he ends up making you feel bad about it because Libertor, I'm not concerned about him becoming an ace Burleson might be a really good productive player but I don't think he's going to become a superstar Tink Hens is the one that could come back to bite you but three years I, from if now if you don't have Jack Flaherty moving forward maybe you can lock up Luis Castillo as the number one for your rotation yep. for the next and five, at a minimum years. you've got him for the next two years and you feel good about yep. it next one up this is uh, Tanner's guy Alec Burleson Matthew Libertor and Malcolm Nunez going to the White Sox for Lucas Giolito. He's got one year left on his deal after this year. Basically the same contract situation as what Castillo has currently. Oh, this one is the easiest one yet. Super swap! I get it. He's had his struggles this year, but he is definitely worth parting with those three guys because of those three prospects that you named, I'm kind of with BK. I'm not sure Libertor is going to pan out to be an ace. Burleson, at best, thinks just a good, productive outfielder. And then I'm not sure about Malcolm Nunez. I watched him play. He's got a good power in his bat, but I don't know what he'll ultimately end up being. So, yeah, I would be willing to part with these three guys. Go get a Lucas Giolito, where if he gets it figured out here in St. Louis, you're kind of buying low on him right now. You bring him in, got another year of control. And if he figures it back out, you've got an ace in your rotation. So I would super swipe on this one. I'm not super swiping, but I'm swiping right on this. Um, you know, he falls into the injury category, although I, I, I think he's going to be fine. You get more control over this. Uh, th- this is kind of like the Carlos Radon trade for me, but you got more control and you're hoping that the upside is an ace caliber. My only concern would be that this guy's got a Jack Flaherty mindset where it's like, yeah, I'm going to get paid. 
and then you might be losing them. But I guess you get a couple of years out of control for a couple of guys that you don't know where they fit. So I'm swiping right. I'm swiping right on this one as well. I think you're hoping for the upside that he's shown in recent years. This year's been a down year for him. But if he can recapture the form of what he once was, this goes back to the idea of what we talked about with like a Noah Syndergaard or one of those other guys that maybe they're not where they once were, but the Cardinals believe that they could find a way to get them back to that form. And the high upside for Lucas Giolito is just too much to pass up on for guys that are currently blocked. Like Nunez is a third baseman. He's had a really productive year for the Cardinals, but where's he going to play for them? Alec Burleson, if he can't make this roster right now, I, I don't so I don't know what the future is for him here. And then Liberator, like everybody just has varying degrees of how in they are on him right now. Final one here. We'll do this one quickly. I just put lottery ticket prospects for Noah Syndergaard. Guys, after looking into this more, given the contracts that he has, given the production that he's had this year, I don't think it's going to take much to get Noah Syndergaard. Like, I think you're talking about like a Delvin Perez or an Edwin Nunez down on the lower levels, or maybe it is a Malcolm Nunez, somebody like that. I think you're looking at a lower level prospect just in return for uh, for Noah Syndergaard. Would you swipe right or left on that deal? Super swipe! Give me Thor for a lottery prospect. Throw in Jerpy for him. I'm fine with it. Whoa, Give whoa, me whoa, whoa. Thor. Yeah, I would do this too. The God I agree. of Thunder on the mound for St. Louis. Not going to take much to get him. I would go get. I would go get Thor. I'm in. Let's swipe right on that. Sign him. We to swiped a 10 right by on 10. basically all of these. Alex like gave up the whole farm. He must be like building an all star. <laughs> I'm team. sorry. Do you want to win a World Series or do you not want to win a World Series? Hey, I think I swiped right. Or do you just want to keep all your prospects? Ooh. With Alex good. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm, I'm Brandon Kylie. Speaking of trading prospects, let's talk to Eric Francis card. about which prospects and which players on the NHL roster the Blues would have to trade to get Matthew Kachuk. We'll do it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So, Alex, yesterday I was, I was I was doing some of my reading to get ready for our show today. I was reading over on Sportsnet, and Eric Francis wrote a story about Matthew Kachuk. And in the beginning of that story, it says, Less than a week after losing Johnny Gaudreau, the team now very much appears on the brink of having to part with Matthew Kachuk. So I wanted to reach out to Eric Francis, who writes for Sportsnet. He's an NHL analyst for them as well. You can follow him on Twitter at his name, Eric Francis. He joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Eric, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's start there. Why do you think that it appears as of today that the Calgary Flames and Matthew Kachuk are headed for a breakup? Well, I, you know, my column was triggered by, you know, the, the move that the Flames made yesterday. A curious move in a lot of people's eyes, but when you delve into why they did it, to me, all roads point to one thing, which is that, you know, I, I do believe that it's very likely Matthew Kachuk has informed the Calgary Flames that he's not interested in signing a long-term deal. And, uh, you know, I guess it, bless him if, if that's the case, then bless him for doing it a whole lot sooner than Matt, uh, Johnny Gaudreau did it. Uh, at the 11th hour and really handcuffed this organization. But listen, the, 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 what the Flames did yesterday, they filed for arbitration. 
Uh, Matthew Kachuk did not file for arbitration uh, a couple days earlier. Instead, the team did it. And most people would say, well, why would you do that? I mean, Matthew Kachuk just came off a 42-goal a year, 104 points. Uh, surely in arbitration, uh, he's going to make more than the $9 million qualifying offer that he could sign. Uh, and that is true. So this will cost more. But they did it to protect against an offer sheet, which is an outside possibility. Um, even if there was a one-year offer sheet, you know, in the Flames matched it, which they would probably do, problem is they can't trade him for an entire year. And then he would walk into free agency next year uh, you know, without any compensation, just like Johnny Gaudreau did. So the Calgary Flames have done this to buy more time, more than anything else. It's pretty clear to me that the two are parting ways and that uh, a long-term deal can't be signed by Matthew Kachuk, which comes as no surprise to me. I don't think it comes as much of a surprise to many people. I've thought for years that both Gaudreau and him would leave to go back to the States, and I don't begrudge them for that. There's a lot of reasons why the American-born players don't want to play in Canada. Anyway, I'm rambling here, but at the end of the day, the Calgary players wanted to buy more time to do the inevitable, which is try to get some significant assets for Matthew Kachuk and say goodbye to him. I do believe this will be wrapped up within the week. Uh, That's where I'm with this too, Eric, because it feels like Calgary's got to make the move before the start of the season because if the season goes on and you've just got Matthew going into unrestricted free agency, you're not going to get much via trade in season or even at the trade deadline. And it's pretty obvious that Calgary's not looking for draft picks because otherwise they would have just let him sign an offer sheet from somebody else. So with that being said, do you view Calgary looking for pieces to keep them still competitive and do the Blues have those pieces to make a deal with for Matthew? Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I, hey, the, the core of this team, yeah, you're losing your two superstars. No question about it. Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau, they made up the best line in hockey this year by a country mile. And, uh, you know, with Elias Lindholm, obviously a massive hole when you lose Gaudreau for nothing. Kachuk, you're going to get a return. You're going to get a top six forward. There's no question about it. You're going to get draft picks. You're going to get young prospects. I mean, I think Matthew Kachuk, and I've said this for years, uh, he's an absolute unicorn in the National Hockey League. The only guy who I think you could come close to comparing him to is Brad Marchand because of the way they play, their, their, their offensive abilities, uh, the ability to agitate, the ability to turn a game with a hit uh, with, with his mouth. <laughs> uh, he's a leader. Uh, I can't tell you. I, I think more of Matthew Kuchuk than almost any player in the National Hockey League because of the skill set combination that he brings. And I think the hall is going to be massive. And you're right. You go into the season, you lose a little bit of your negotiating power. You go to the trade deadline, well, then you've narrowed the amount of teams that are interested in Matthew Kachuk, you know, by a huge number as well. So you got to rip the Band-Aid off. Listen, this organization here in Calgary lost Mark Giordano, their captain, last year for nothing. The year before, they lost T.J. Brody, who was their number two defenseman, for nothing. They lost Travis Hamanick, who was a top four defenseman, for nothing. Uh, I could keep going on, but there's a long history of losing guys for nothing. Uh, this is not going to happen this time around. Eric Francis is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Now, Eric, you said you think this gets wrapped up within the next week or so. Um, in, in terms of the timetable, do you think that there have already been conversations that lead you to believe that this will get done soon and that they already have a pretty good idea of what's out there for Matthew Kachuk if and when they make him available? No, uh, I, I... I think that they have an idea of what they're looking for. I think it's all relatively new that, uh, again, I, I'm speculating that, that this conversation has, been hap- that has happened recently with Matthew Kachuk and the Flames saying, you know what, we're just not going to sign long-term. And we might as well tell you that now. 
and, and let's work together to try and come up with a solution so that Matthew gets to a place he wants to go to and he goes to a team where he might sign an eight-year extension with that team moving forward. The amazing thing about this whole story is Matthew Kachuk is 24 years old, guys. You guys know the league. Generally speaking, the history of this league, usually you don't get UFA status until you're 28, 29. Uh, this is a guy who's basically, because this is going to be sped up by a year, he's basically going to be probably sign an eight-year extension you know, by the end of this, you know, very soon. And, you know, at age 24, which is just absolutely incredible. It's, it's why the league was so shocked that Alex DeBrinkett was made available by trade for a paltry price, given that he's 24 and scored 41 goals in the National Hockey League. Similar situation, but I can tell you this, Calgary Flames are going to get a whole lot more than what uh, the Chicago Blackhawks got for DeBrinkett. Erica, I think here in St. Louis, of course, you know, fans are connecting the dots of Calgary trading Kachuk Blues jumping in on that because of the St. Louis ties. We've looked at, and again, this is all hypothetical. This is all, you know, looking looking down the road to see if it comes into play. But does a starting point for a Blues trade for Kachuk begin with Jordan Cairo? Yeah, I think that's that's pretty safe to say. I mean, I it's not exactly. I, I'm not in a position where I'd be able to say they would live and die and say, well, this is, it's either him or no one. Um, you know, I know the name Tarasenko is already popping up with people, but that's a whole different situation, right? I, you're looking for a young cornerstone building player and Cairo fits the build. No question about it. I, I haven't had a chance since this whole story's kind of broken. And, and again, I knew that Matthew Kachuk wasn't long for the flames, but it's still, this week has been a whirlwind in Calgary. You know, people are just getting over the chance that the fact that Goudreau has gone for nothing and, and and now people are trying to, you know, comprehend the fact that they're probably going to lose Kachuk too. So I haven't looked around the league to see what possible fits there are. But, yes, Kairou would be exactly the type of player that the Calgary Flames would want to be the cornerstone of any trade for Matthew Kachuk. And it's got to be someone that can help them now, but who can also build with the team moving forward. But, again, you know, the Calgary Flames are going to look around the league, and there's a real problem here, right? The common denominator between – uh, Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau is that they're both American and they both want to get back south of the border. And I don't blame them. I mean, it's, it's about lifestyle too. It's about being closer to family. I get it. Um, I'm not sure the Calgary Flames would be interested in trading for anyone who's who's American. Uh, I, I really think that that's going to be a consideration moving forward for not just the Flames, but teams around the league. Like if you think Austin Matthews is going to re-sign with the Toronto Maple Leafs, I got a couple hundred bucks willing to wager on that one for you. He's heading stateside as soon as he gets a chance, too. So this is not a new phenomenon. It's just something that the Flames have to deal with. So no American players, please, is what the Calgary Flames are probably saying when they look at the deal. That's interesting. We're talking to Eric Francis for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Eric, I did want to ask you, when, when you look at... When you look at what the Blues could put, could potentially offer in such a deal, there, there's also the Matthew Kachuk side of things. How much of this do you think is going to be dictated by where Matthew Kachuk wants to sign long-term? I, I, like I said earlier, I think the two sides will work together on this. I really do. Um, uh, the Flames don't have to work with them, uh, but I think that uh, it's everyone's best in everyone's best interest because I think – as you get down the road and you start looking, okay, Matthew, we, we may have a potential deal with, say, the St. Louis Blues, for example. What do you think about that? Well, my guess is Matthew would say that sounds fantastic uh, because there's a chance I would sign an eight-year extension in St. Louis. If you trade him to Columbus, I'll <laughs> use them as an example, um, I, I don't think even Columbus would have any expectation that Matthew Kuchuk a year from now would be willing to sign an eight-year extension 
to stay in Columbus. So it's got to be a place that Matthew Kachuk, I think, envisions possibly staying longer than one year. Otherwise, it's just a one-year rental. And you're not going to pay as much for a one-year rental as you are for a guy who you think could be a cornerstone of your franchise for the next eight or nine years. He's Eric Francis. Find his work and his great piece breaking down the entire situation with Matthew Kachuk over on Sportsnet. You can also find it on Twitter at Eric Francis at his name. Eric, we appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we wish you guys all the best up in Calgary as this thing continues to develop. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your interest, and uh, good time with you, and enjoy the rest of your summer. Thanks, Eric. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Eric Francis joining us here on 101 ESPN. We're going to react to all of that, discuss what Eric Francis just had to tell us, and we want to hear from you. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Calgary Flames have done this to buy more time, more than anything else. It's pretty clear to me that the two are parting ways and that uh, a long-term deal can't be signed by Matthew Kachuk, which comes as no surprise to me. The Calgary Flames want to buy more time to do the inevitable, which is try to get some significant assets for Matthew Kachuk and say goodbye to him. I do believe this will be wrapped up within the week. That was Eric Francis dropping the gym moments ago. Huge thanks to him for joining us here on the show. He has a lot of insight into this. He was the one that predicted all along that Johnny Hockey was leaving Calgary as well. Check out his work over at Sportsnet. Alex, I find it to be really interesting that he said this could be wrapped up within the next week. I don't want to get too lost into the timing of it all because maybe something pops up and it ends up taking longer than expected. I do think that after hearing him, after reading the tea leaves ourselves, I think Matthew Kachuk is getting traded. I think it's the only thing that makes sense from Calgary's perspective. And when, if and when you get to that point of no return where it's, okay, both sides are ready to go their separate ways, the Blues make the most sense for Matthew Kachuk. Not just because he's from here, but also because of the Jordan Cairo Trump card. The Blues can play that card, and it is a piece that Calgary can build around. And frankly, Jordan Cairo doesn't have much say in the matter because he doesn't have a no-trade clause. So if he was traded there, he ends up going there, and maybe he likes it. He's from Canada. I know it's Toronto, which is very different than Calgary, but he's from Canada nonetheless. I, I think that's the way that this works. And then it just becomes a matter of how do you make it work with the cap? It probably means at least one of Vladimir Tarasenko and or Tory Krug have to be dealt for the money. And then you include the first round pick and whatever else, other filler in there. But I think this is something that's going to happen, man. I'm back on that train. Yeah, I mean, I've been on this train all along. I just didn't know if it was going to take place now or in the middle of the season. But with all of these things developing overnight, uh, it does feel like this is going to happen. I didn't think it was within the week. I thought maybe August. But Eric seems to think that they're going to be pretty aggressive with us. A couple of texts on the Air Comfort Service text on at 65780. Guys, I'm starting to get worried about the asking price. Could live with Kairu, Krug, Krug, Vladdy in a first in the trade. But anything more, I don't know. Here's the thing, and I know a lot of people probably look at this and say, oh, man, if a Zachary Bolduc or a Scott Perunovich are a part of this deal, that's too much. You're hoping that Zachary Bolduc becomes Matthew Kachuk. You're getting Matthew Kachuk. You're getting a 24-year-old who just hit 100 points on his season and isn't any, even where near the prime of his career. So I'm not worried about the cost as long as you're not dealing so much from your NHL roster. But even then, 
you're still getting Matthew Kachuk from the 314. There is not a brain on this show. That's actually very true. Explain <laughs> how you can sign Kachuk without losing Kairou, O'Reilly, and Barbashev. If that's okay with you, then fine. Enjoy Kachuk. You can get Kachuk by moving on from Jordan Kairou and one of Tori Krug or Ryan or uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. You can get Matthew Kachuk. It's going to be tight in the years to come, but you're hoping the cap continues to move up. Right now, the only thought from the Blues should be how can we make this work? And frankly, I think the Blues have an advantage in this because of what Eric said. If you're the hypothetically the Columbus Blue Jackets, you're not giving up the cost of what you need to to get Matthew Kachuk because Matthew Kachuk might have all intentions of saying, no, nah, I'm going to go to unrestricted free agency because I want to see one, what I'm worth, or two, see what St. Louis offers. So teams aren't going to deal the farm to get Matthew Kachuk. But if he wants to go to St. Louis and is agreed upon signing an eight-year contract, then St. Louis would just have to give up what Calgary wants, which in my opinion, the best asset available would be a Jordan Cairo. And I know there will be some who say, like, why not just wait? Like, wait this out, get him next year. And the reason is because now that it's becoming real that he's going to be traded this year, he's probably going to resign wherever he gets traded. Like, and whether that's St. Louis or elsewhere, the team that gets him is going to give up as much as they will because they're going to be negotiating a deal long-term whenever they are making this type of a trade. So I don't think, I think it's a false choice of getting him now versus getting him next year. I don't think getting him next year is going to be an option. Yeah, I think he's going to be signed somewhere by the end of this offseason. And the likelihood is, in my opinion, that it ends up being here in St. Louis. The big question is, what does it take to get him? Somebody says, well, Krug wave is no trade. Uh, Alex, you mentioned this earlier. I think it's a brilliant way to go about this. I I think the team you bring into this is the New York Islanders. They haven't made any offseason moves. They've got a bunch of cap space to be able to make this thing work. Even if you traded Krug and Tarasenko there, and then you trade... uh, Jordan Cairo up to Calgary like there's a lot of moving pieces here and I understand that but with all the money that you're gonna have to take on you kind of have to have a lot of moving pieces and Tarasenko opens up flexibility for you right now he doesn't open up flexibility for you in the future and that's part of this as well if you want to keep Ryan O'Reilly is why they would probably move on from Tory Krug there's a lot of underlying stuff here and we'll talk about that all throughout the week this week. It's a good week to do it. There's no baseball right now. So we're going to have a lot of conversations about Matthew Kachuk, what the rest of this offseason looks like, what it means for the Blues offseason if they're able to make this work. All of that and plenty more throughout the week this week on BK and Ferrario. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane coming up next from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.